Hey guys, welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. I just, you know, the hey guys thing is kind of funny because, um, hold on, let me pull up my, my notes here. I closed them when the app absolutely crashed. The, uh, the dudes at the shop where I would hang out on Friday nights would always, I would walk in the door. You know what they would say? Hey guys! Every time, every time. I don't know if we it's need like a, like a, yeah. I don't know if we need like a "Hey guys" T-shirt or something. Probably. It, hey guys! And then I mean, all, I feel like we can't start the podcast any other way now. You can't. Well, we do like occasionally, and it's kind of Occasion- funny. Yeah, but, when we just talk and get into it. Yeah, but it's, yeah. It's, hey guys! So, what do you think of this list so far? This this overhyped nine eleven list, and what do you think of? You um, weren't you weren't here for the interviews to give your opinion. No. So I'm just curious. Well, it, how are we doing? Here's my takeaway from it is you, I don't agree with the cars I would have instead of the 911, but there are cars I would have. Well, off air, we talked a little bit about one of the cars and you're like, oh, well, this other car is, is way better. Look at this thing. Oh, you, even you would like this thing. I'm like, dude, they made 300 of those and they're (laughs) $200,000. Oh, so there are, you know, like recapping. Yes. Okay. So it has to, this is great. Let's do a recap. It has to be a reasonable amount of money that you could probably sell your long hood or your turbo or your Carrera or your SC okay. and buy. So okay. that puts us somewhere between zero. Dude, there was a Targa that just <laughs> I bring a trailer today. Wait, the the parts one? The parts one. The it Targa. sold for 8600 bucks or something. $8,600. Yeah. And uh, Brandon sends it to me. He's like, or I post it up. He says, well, yeah, it comes with an engine and a transmission. Of course it's. You know, I'm, it's Did a it deal. Though? And I'm like... I didn't even see what it came I'm like, with. you're proving my point. It came with like some shitty two liter flat six just engine. Like, anyway, it's I a saw 69. a picture of just a case. Yeah, the, the car needs $100,000. Yeah. Like it's To just, even get it drivable, it, it not is a, as a nice car. It is an $8,000 car that needs $100,000 worth of work. Just to get on the road. Just that to, won't make it a $100,000 car, mind you. Uh, 69 Targa. I didn't see what color it was. At this point, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, true. Who knows? Maybe. It could be. If you did the work yourself, maybe. Sh- anyway, <laughs> so there's there's that. So it's just another proof. But however, yeah, there was uh, Valvin Piston, who yeah. is an uh, Instagram, uh, you know, uh, an account. Correct. And he reposts different things and motorsport yeah. things. It's a great account. And he posted, like, something to pay attention to. And I think it was the, the price of a car that sold recently. Okay. And then it, it sold, like, previously. And it dropped in price. The 911. Oh, it 911. was a 911 I think, I think that it dropped went, in price. I think it went down in price. And it got me to thinking, and I've been looking at things, and just the economy and everything else. I think we're kind of at the peak. Yeah. So I don't know if we talked about this last week or not, but I think right now, whenever this episode comes out. Okay. So that'll be the exact date. This is the exact date. We are at, I think, I think we are at peak pricing. I'm not saying okay. things are going to crash. I don't right. think that's going to happen. I think... But you'll see maybe a slight decline. A slight decline or some consolidation or something like that. I think you're just going to see a little bit of... So we won't call it like a up. reset, but it'll... No. I think we've reached the peak. I don't think we're going up any higher from here. We're not We're not going to return to like pre-pandemic prices. So does that mean everyone should sell their 911s right now? Uh, I don't think... Sure. I don't know. I don't care. I'm not, this is I mean, if you're predicting advice. like this is the top of the economy right here. Hey, if this is the top pricing. of the economy and you're going to sell your 911, stop listening to this podcast because I don't like you because you're in it for the wrong reason. Oh. You know, like you're not say, my that's guy. The whole point of this series is cars you could have instead of a 911. I know, but you're not my guy. Well, hey, if you're going to buy another car. Right. Sure. But if, yes. but if you're the guy that's buying the car like three years ago because you thought it was going to go up in value, bro. 
fuck out of this podcast right now. Get out of here. Hang it up. What? Just like a phone. Put it if down. If you have money and you're going to buy a fun car, why wouldn't you pension? That's pension not the that. type of person I just described. I described the person that's buying the car because they are speculating on it. I don't like car yeah. speculators. And I doubt any of them are listening to this podcast no, anyway. Right. So it, it, it's whatever. I, the, so I was thinking about, I talked to, obviously over the last week, this episode's been out. Yes. I've talked to people. Okay. Uh-huh. And one opinions thing that have flown in. opinions have flown in, and I don't, <laughs> I don't really care to talk about everybody's opinions because we're kind of all over the place, right? Okay. But one thing that did kind of come up and like stick in my mind is, like, one of the cars we're going to talk about today. They sold twelve hundred of. Okay? okay, they're hard to find. They're kind of obscure. The scarcity, scarcity of it. Yeah. And they, we talked about last week about how they sold three or four hundred thousand nine eleven. You're right. It's right? not a rare car. However, I'm thinking about this in terms of this isn't like cereal, right? This isn't like, I don't think that the, the, uh, what does that mean? This supply and cereal. demand economic structure really counts towards this because it's well, this such isn't a, like you're talking breakfast cereal, right? Yeah. Exactly. Breakfast cereal. I, I don't like think cereal it's, numbers. Or it's I'm just thinking in, of something okay. that everybody just buys and sells. They don't really a think about it. Is what a commodity is what you're talking about. Yes. Okay, it, it, well, commodity would be the grain that goes into the cereal. Right. Cereal itself okay. is not a commodity. I would consider 9-11 a commodity, um, but it is an emotional commodity. And when you think about, I'm thinking of the things that drive the price and has, dri- has driven the price up. And I don't think it would be possible for the price to be what it is today if there weren't 400,000 of these cars. Okay. Because, because of the moment, the momentum would not be possible without the volume the exposure. of cars. Yes. There the, wouldn't be the exposure and the availability. in order to drive the price up. The availability of this person that's stuck in the feedback loop that I've talked about going, holy shit, and then immediately going over here and being like, there's one for sale. Oh, my God, there's all these for sale. And you can, You're you can wrong. Just re- You're wrong. Okay. And I'll tell you why. Look at, for instance, a Ferrari 250 GTO short wheelbase, right? It's astronomical. It's the most expensive car ever made, you know, to yeah, be but sold. Yeah, it's, but it's always there's, there's, been astronomical. There's a small amount of them. Not yep. to that level. It's always been a hyper-expensive, yes. hyper-exclusive car. So you're, you're, the 911 was cheap. Yeah. And now it's expensive. And I don't think you'd see that momentum, that huge rise, if there was an economy that's constantly turning over. Okay, so you have like buying and selling and buying and selling. Because buying, it really selling, is buying, the buying, visibility buying, buying. that feeds into Yes, this, I right? think so. That's what I'm getting at is I yeah, think that I think- without the volume and people being able to actually go, holy shit, that's cool, and then go buy one, we wouldn't see the increase that we've seen. Yes, and just no. a thought. Just a yeah, thought. No, it's a, it's an interesting thought. But my yeah, I'm I'm making the argument though. I think if it was less, if there was if it was a rarer car, if the 911 was not made in as high numbers as it currently was, I still think we would see pricing go up. Yeah, maybe. I just don't know that it's. I think it has something to do with it, the fact that people can buy and sell them regularly. Sure. And of course, the and there are the guys that are the uh, what the pricing right? Yeah, speculation guys. Uh, uh, Jeremy Clarkson did leave me a voicemail about the 911, by the he way. He did? Yeah, I'm going to play it wow, for you right okay. now. Wow, okay. I loathe the Porsche 911. And it's going to die. Here's a fo- short voicemail, wow. but he got his point across. And I was thinking about how he notoriously hates the 911. Yeah. Do you think he hates the 911 irrationally? Has it become his shtick? I, I think it probably started as just like a, a thing, right? Yeah. Like, okay. We're peeking behind the curtain here a little bit. There are things I do not hate as much as I come off as hating. Oh, no. Yes. I know. Spoiler, I, right? Here, here's a spoiler for you. What? Everything I say that I hate, I actually hate. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, let's put it this way. You're not actually much taller than I am. 
Uh, My point is, okay, hold I on, think hold the on. whole oh. Jeremy Clarkson thing. Nope, the, we're going right along. Stop. I think the whole Jeremy hold Clarkson on. thing started as maybe like a shtick. Like, this is the first really? time in the history of ever I've cut Jake's really? microphone. How tall are you? I'm leaving. How tall are you? Five, four and a half. No problem saying it. <laughs> with the cheater shoes or without nope, the. Nope, that's straight up naked. I am five, seven and a half. Yeah. Almost that's five, eight. Still short. That is three inches. Yeah, still short though. A lot of people would think three inches is is a is a not very much. I guess maybe. I was gonna say if that's what you think, <laughs> then we're gonna make fun of you for something. There's else. a percentage there. It's a significant amount. It's measurable. Yeah, because we're short, so you can notice it. But like a normal like six foot dude comes in, he'd be like, yeah, you're both really short. That's true. Right? That is true. Yeah. Anyways, yes. the whole point of going there was <laughs> I think Jeremy Clarkson probably started as a shtick where he had to be adversarial to yeah. uh, to Richard Hammond, right? Because Richard's like, yeah, 911. Also, yeah, Mustang and everything else. But And so he was probably like, eh, if you, whatever, overrated. But if you think about it, though, the 911 in its construction and design is pretty dumb. The weight balance, the right. way it's yeah, put the together. motor's in the wrong spot for yeah. sure. I mean, he's not wrong in terms of an engineering right, exercise. It's wrong. Yeah, I mean, Porsche specifically engineers the Cayman and Boxer to be worse than the 911 on purpose, right? Because it because, wouldn't be otherwise. Because they're it would, hamstringing it is what you're talking yes, about. Yes, it would kick the shit 100%. out of a 911 if you gave yes. it the power and the brakes and the suspension. Yes, it would. Yes, it would. Um, you asked me what I thought of last week's episode. Yes, though. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the funny thing is I'm still just now getting text messages because I made mentions of things that I would like and I would pick. Yes. The first of which was a classic Mini Cooper, and I have had people trying to sell me their Mini Cooper well, now. After the, <laughs> <laughs> after the third episode, when we get to the end of the third episode, you and I can talk about your list. Okay. Okay, that way. I haven't really thought about it that much. But well, why don't you? Why don't I you will. think about your list, and then when we come so in at the end, you can... My, my question, I guess, for you... I just don't want to be redundant. That's yeah. Right. Are people are people offering their car for sale that you're mentioning here? No. You haven't had any Everybody knows I've I'm had broke. Two. I've had two people come up and try to sell me the Mini Coopers so far. Jake, everybody knows I'm broke. Oh, okay. Everybody knows you're not. That's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> let's be honest here. That's the difference. Um, one thing that I thought was fun was uh, talking to Mike Burroughs. Yeah. About how he, I tried to get him to, to drive my car. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. And he refused. And then I went into, uh, I was just having fun. And I went into chat GPT and, uh, which is the AI software where you can type questions into it or whatever. Oh, okay. And I said, write me a song. Oh God. About Michael Burroughs. Uh-huh. And how he should drive a 911. Okay. But he won't. Okay. Write it in a romantic sense. In the theme, so it's a love it's love, a love song, song. Yeah. or a, or a, yeah, a sad or a romantic song, but in the style of Taylor Swift. Oh, I love it! And I put it out there, and I said, "Whoever gives me the best one gets two hundred dollars." Okay, okay. So I got a few back, and I want to play one for you. If Did that you spend two hundred dollars of our budget on this? My own money. Really? I legitimately gave somebody $200. Oh, my God, for real? Yeah. I okay. want you to... Are you ready? So this is a $200 song. Uh, One of. I got a bunch. I gave... Yes. How much money did you spend on this? I don't... Don't worry about it. Right. <laughs> okay. Here, okay, let's, let's go. I would like to... This song is titled Mike Mike. Mike Mike. And it is by Zach Carroll. <laughs> Mike Mike, you're making a mistake. We can't all drive Ferraris with Kays. <laughs> Mike, Mike, you never heard a 
song like a 9-11, let's play along. Uh, a little bit of Adam Sandler uh, inspiration there. Mike, Mike. Have you played this song for Mike Burroughs yet? I did. I I showed it. So I also Uh showed it to his girlfriend. Uh I think Mike is tired of it because i've sent him a few oh things. no oh my god this i've been is bugging amazing. the shit out of him it's so good i'm wow. gonna change my ringtone be- mike mike every time he text messages me it is going to be oh phenomenal my god. what was it it's not about all about ferraris with a k with k's yeah, yeah. it's not all about ferraris with k's so we're i i'm gonna drive my 911 over there and i'm gonna stick mike in there and it's gonna be this song on a loop on a loop as as, as he plays it mike 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 that was amazing zach that was, that was amazing. incredible there's there's wow. a couple others but i don't want to i don't want to drag everybody through this. okay uh, all right what have wow. you uh what have you got for us for uh do you want to talk about PetroBox a little bit i would love to talk about PetroBox. PetroBox is a monthly service made specifically for the automotive enthusiast in your life maybe even yourself it's a great gift it's the gift that keeps on giving because it is a subscription service each month they carefully select items including detailing supplies you get detailing gear you might get a tool you might get apparel such as a t-shirt yeah you might did you get a petrol box since we recorded this? Uh, no. I no, didn't no. You mentioned that last time, too. I know. Yeah. You got to figure it out. Maybe I you, better make a note of that. Yeah, make Because a note I of that. miss mine. I have, we so, do actually very much enjoy our petrol box. I'm wearing this one right now underneath this. This I, isn't just lip service, All my guys. t-shirts are petrol box t-shirts. Petrol box, question mark? Petrol box. <laughs> no, no. Get yours in the mail. It's really great. Even... If you're in jail. Maybe. Yeah, I mean. Well, it comes with tools. Yeah. (laughs) Like a filing kit. Yeah. What are you going to do with an extra 10 millimeter socket while you're in jail? I don't know. What if the bars are held together with 10 mils? You don't know. There you go. PetroBox makes a great gift for your jail friend. (laughs) All right. (laughs) MyPetroBox.com, as little as $19.95 a month. Check it out. Use the code Overcrest at checkout. That will get you $6 off your order. All right, Jake. Yeah. Do you know what a Lamborghini Marzal is? Um, I do because I looked this up ahead of time. Okay. What is it? It is a front engine V12 Lamborghini. It's a it's a front but engine. It's a concept coupe. car. It's a concept, concept oh, okay. car. Right. So I, I was talking about the wrong one. Yes. So this is the look the it up, look it up. Look up. Lamborghini Marzal. Marzal. It's probably a Z, isn't it? Yes. Oh, there it is. Wow. And what year is this thing? What do you think of this car? What do you think of it? It's uh, 1967. Are the, is, are the see-through doors part of it? Or was that just a thing? It's, what, what did you say? The see-through doors. That's part of it. Yeah. That's, okay. That's that's, all. It's, it so looks, this is a concept. It looks like a DeLorean with extra headlights. Dude, what is, no. It does. I'm, it's something about the hood profile. I know I you're just it. like, well, everything wedgy is a DeLorean. No, it's no. not. But it's... I don't think it looks like a DeLorean at all. Well, the one I'm looking at is like in stainless. Well, anyway, you can, <laughs> I was going to ask if you wanted one, and then I was going to tell you you can't have one because it is a uh, concept car. Like a one of one. One yeah. of one. This car no. was designed by Marcello Gandini. Look at the interior. I, dude, look at the rear louvers on the rear hatch. Well, so that's... Yeah, and a lot of modern Lamborghinis that have like the hexagonal vents and stuff, that's a callback to this design. Absolutely, absolutely. So it was designed by Marcello Gandini. Okay. He designed one of the most beautiful cars of all time. And this is... Are you talking about this one? No. Okay. Uh, I'm done with this car. We're okay. moving on. Wow. I just wanted cool. to show you this car because it inspired the look of the car we're going to talk about. Okay. 
The Mira. Yes. Okay. The Mira, one yes. of the most beautiful cars of all time. Yep. Gandini. But he also is the king of the wedge. Okay. Uh, let me know if you've heard of any of these cars. Uh-huh. The Pantera. Of course. The Stratos. Yes. Merzal. Yep. Countach. Yep. Fiat X19. Yes. Yes. The Lamborghini Diablo. Oh, wow. The Uraco. Yep. The 308 GT4. Wait, Uraco. Shiraco. Uraco. Lamborghini Uraco. Oh, Uraco. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Got to clarify that. Uh, That's right. Um, Gijaro. Okay. So we can't have the Lamborghini Marzal, but if someone were to sell their early 911, they could probably get a Lamborghini Espada. Yes. Now, I love... Which means means sword in uh, in Spanish. Yes. The sword, the Lamborghini sword. Because it's all about bullfighting, right? And so that's you're sticking the final blow with the Espada. So I love Lamborghini front-engine cars. Why? Because they're lesser known. It's true. And they're cool. They still have a V12. It's one of the reasons why this car can even be on this list. If this was a mid-engine Lamborghini, it would, yes. it would be a 100%. zillion dollars. But do you realize how many uh, like front-engine cars Lamborghini made? They tried really models? hard. They so, tried really hard for it to stick. Yes. The first car they made, the 350 GT, was front-engine. Then the 400 GT was front-engine. Then they stuck the Mira in there, and that's when things really blew up. But the Espada then the was Mira the was not front-engine. No, I know, but I'm just going down the list. Oh, okay. Like, it was, like, all front-engine cars, Mira, and then the Espada was also front-engine. They had something called the Isolero, which was front-engine. The Jarma is the one I really like. We cannot afford that. Engine. That we one's more expensive. That. Yeah. that one is a bit more expensive. A lot more expensive and yes. extremely rare. Yeah, and so there's, like, a handful of these ones that, like, they didn't make many of them. The Jarma, they did make quite a bit of uh let's see total production they made or i'm sorry the espada yeah 1200 yeah yep so it's they're out there so this thing came out just after the mira which at the time blew everyone away correct and while the styling isn't considered as beautiful it's definitely unique and while ferruccio didn't like the marzal the espada would still come along eventually ferruccio enjoyed the attention the marzal attracted the geneva auto show but he was horrified when he saw the car for the first time (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it is a good show car, he said, but I will make, never make another. Ten years earlier, Ferruccio had owned a Mercedes 300 SL Gullwing, and he did not share Gantini's enthusiasm for the Gullwing door, saying, mm. such doors offer no privacy. A lady's legs would be there for all to see. Oh, oh <laughs> and this is coming from an Italian, An, an Italian guy and a, and a known womanizer. Obviously, oh, Ferruccio yes. lost the battle eventually, and that <laughs> car, the Countach, is probably not something uh, you can trade your 911 for. No, definitely not. It's difficult not to see the influence of the late 60s in the Espada. Looking at the right angle, you can absolutely see the Dodge Challenger. This is Italian yep. muscle with a touch of delicacy and poise. Mm-hmm. What you don't see in comparison is a quad cam 4-liter V12 <laughs> instead of a with V8. all of the carburetors. With all of them. Every carburetor ever made. The engine was designed from the start to be a quad cam, 60-degree V12, as an intentional fuck you to Ferrari's single yes. overhead can uh, per bank design. Anything, I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, anything built out of spite like this is good in my book. <laughs> when the prototype was originally tested, it made 400 horsepower at 9,000 RPMs. Is this the same motor that the Mira had, do you know? Uh, No, no, it is not. Okay, this was new. No. The engine had 107 horsepower per liter. Wow. This 100 horsepower per liter club is something that BMW M dorks are always haranguing on about <laughs> with BMWs in line six in the 90s. Yeah. 30 years later. Yeah. Anyways, for production in the Espada, it was detuned to 325 horsepower and was fueled by six Weber 40s. This engine in the Espada was so good <laughs> that it was used for almost 50 years. Its last wow. use was the Murcielago 
in 2010. Really? In the summer of 1978, when a total of 1,217 Espadas had left the assembly line in, from a Lamborghini, uh, they entered bankruptcy, and the Italian courts took control and stopped Espada production. Mm -hmm. So we probably would have seen more of this car. It would have continued kind of right. the lineage of the model. So as a comparison, we've talked about this, and I just want to reemphasize this. Okay. So they made 1,217 Espadas. 1,200. 1,217 to be specific. Oh, I know, but I'm just rounding so you can actually... Well, I'm about to be specific. Okay. Uh, for Porsche. 1,200 plus Lambo Espadas. 1,217 Espadas. Yes, okay. And according to flat6s.com, Porsche produced a total of 443,134 <laughs> air-cooled 911s across all four 400,000? 443,000. Wow! 134. Yes. Okay. Specific. Well, without you, let's be specific. Without well, yours, you it would be one hundred thirty-three. Specific when the difference is that big. Of the early nine eleven, which is the most valuable, uh -huh. Persia produced, poor Persia, Persia, uh -huh. produced one thousand one. I'm sorry, I'll, it's a big number. Yes. One hundred eleven thousand nine hundred ninety-five units. Hundred thousand. Yes. They made a one thousand two hundred seventeen Espadas. Right. Very rare. That's why I'm saying you don't have to be specific. 1,200 versus hundreds of thousands. Quote, <laughs> the Rolls-Royce is a good car. Uh -huh. This is what he said about, you know, this. The Rolls-Royce is a good car. It is quiet and comfortable and quite fast, but it's too upright and stodgy. Uh -huh. In Italy, we need a car with every luxury for those who want to travel far and fast and can afford it. But it must have mm. style and it must be beautiful. That is even more important than convenience. <laughs> and that's it right there, Jake. Vibe. This car has vibe More to its core. More important than convenience. I like that. It is undoubtedly like cooler than almost any car built by German engineers. Yeah. I do not like, you know, you talk about style. It has style. I will not deny that. I don't love the rear of the car. I don't love the it's, styling it's very of it. Right? 60s, 70s wedge. It's Italian. very like high up in the rear, though. Like it doesn't That's have a, a hatchback. Hatch you can open it. You no, put I know. Stuff in like, there. It's, it's great. It even has a little cover that slides over. Privacy cover. Privacy cover. Yes. I will say. So you can put the extra, I don't know, $100,000 that you have <laughs> from not buying a 911 and buying one of these instead. Did we talk about price? They're what? like 40 to 60 grand, I believe. Wow. Um, let me just check that quick. I can hop over to bring Do a trailer. Do a little update. I will say while you're doing that, this is one of my favorite wheel designs. On okay, they're 100 car. grand. They're 100 grand. Okay. Yeah, 100 grand. Go, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, this is one of my favorite wheel designs on any car. Which one? There was a none. couple. Which? Yes, but this wheel was used on actually quite a few different Lamborghinis of this period. It's ah, the yes. Campagnola with the, it's a magnesium wheel. Campagnolo, yes. Yep. And it has a knockoff though. So it's a spline drive yes. knockoff center lug. That's in the series. I like those other wheels that, that replace those a little bit better. Okay. But teach, I, it's teach just such a unique design, right? All right. Yeah. So I wanted to talk to somebody about the Espada. Yeah. And it's difficult to find an owner. So I found someone who has driven one and made a little film about one. Okay. His name is Magnus Walker. Hey, we know him. We do. Hey. hey. How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Pretty good. Looks like you're in the studio. I am. I am here. I am in the studio. Anyway, All right. I'm here. Dude, I'm I, I tried to do it. There's a rhyme in there somewhere, I think. Yeah, I've just got the, where's my camera? I've got this here. I can't see myself. I'm a little, uh, let me see. Can I show myself? You look good. You look good. Look, Don't worry. You got okay, the cans look, on, the baby beard's going in. You're looking good. I shaved my beard for Halloween. It was the biggest mistake I've ever made. Hey, we, we all do crazy things. <laughs> right on. So 
Man, uh, so I put together these episodes and a lot of it comes from kind of being salty that I haven't had my 9-11 for a year. Yeah. You know, I haven't had my 9-11 for a year. The engine cost me 30, 40 grand. I'm kind of grumpy about it. 30, 40 grand? What are you building? That, you know, Dude. back in the old days, that would have bought me four cars. I know. Engines. I know. Back when I bought my car, it would have bought me four cars. And that's only yeah. 10, 11 years ago. What it's, are you uh, doing in the engine for 30, 40 grand? Well, first of all, the oil line from the uh, the site that goes right to the pump fell yeah. off when I was driving yeah. it. Blew the motor up. Oh, you got to stay lubricated first off. Yeah, dude. It, it it just absolutely shit canned every single thing that moves inside the engine. And it broke a rod, which tumbled around inside the case and broke the case. That's going to sound good. I didn't sound good at all. It was like the worst sound. I've, it was, it ended up being the sound of me crying, literally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, little, literal tears as I'm pushing the thing up the street. Some guy like came off the sidewalk and he he's like, hey, man, do you need some help? As I'm, oh, it was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. Anyway, so I'm a little bit salty about all that. I haven't had the car for a year. So I st- and then you I start seeing to find sort of someone's secondhand motor. That's the, that's been my path of least resistance in your similar position. Instead of going down the rebuild, I'm just like, who's got something out there that's semi hot rod that you want to get rid of? Yeah, I know. But like the motor was already a three, two short stroke with PMOs. Yeah. And it was, it's a big, big motor. So just throwing a two seven in that, I can't, I can't go backwards. Yeah. You'd have to go to like, you know, a hot rod three, four that came out of someone's race car who was upgrading to something even, you know, people are always grand. upgrade, right? They're all, they're all 30 grand. Every one of those is 30 grand. Well, it's, it's, I guess I haven't bought a motor in a long time because, you know, <laughs> I guess the last one I bought is a two eight twin plug that's in two seven. That was, you know, someone's former race motor that was getting dumped on Pelican for like, you know, less than 10 grand. Yeah. I just keep your fingers crossed. You don't have to. That's all, that's all I can yeah, say. I, so that, that, that kind of is like what formulated the idea for these three episodes, which are basically, and it's a little tongue in cheek because I don't necessarily believe this. Although I'm starting to the nine 11 is the most overpriced sports car of all time currently. And, you know, we've had conversations about why this has happened you know, why are we in this predicament? How did we get here? Is it a social media feedback loop? They made 400,000 of these cars. How is it possible that they become so expensive? And I've talked to a bunch of different folks, Mike Burroughs, talked to uh, Ron Zaras from Hoonigan. I've talked to uh, Paul House, who is a designer at McLaren. And some of the things that the the themes that have come up is uh, repeatedly is um, bring a trailer and the the availability and ease of purchasing cars online. And the film Magnus Walker came out with, you know, 10 or whatever. Interesting. So interesting so, trifecta there. Yeah. So it's, I think there's a lot of things that just kind of happen, but how do you feel as someone that people are saying, Hey, I don't want to say it's, it's your fault because it's not necessarily a bad thing. But when people say, Hey, Magnus Walker had a lot to do with the, the kickoff of the nine 11 culture that we know today. How do you feel about that? I don't really think too much of it. You know, timing, obviously, you know, Urban Outlaw came out 10 years ago, over 10 years now. You know, the environment was a bit different. Everything you've already said makes perfect sense. Manufacturing love to cool coming out in 2014 and a lot of people drinking Porsche Kool-Aid and a new demographic. And as you know, I'm not saying anything you don't know, prices doubled and tripled. And here we're at this unaffordable price point. But I think there are still deals out there. You know, obviously, air-cooled 911 is to a lot of people uh, 
unobtainable and overpriced. I haven't bought an air-cooled 911 in a long time because when I bought them 20, 30 years ago, I've owned a lot of them and I used to buy them for, it was common to pick them up for 4,500 bucks, five grand. Like 20 grand was a really, really expensive air-cooled 911. And I'm talking, I bought three liter turbos for 20 grand type of thing. So the thing is, air-cooled 911 centric, you know, let's not forget I'm the guy that bought a $5,000 996 that was a running driving car in the past five or six years so there are still bargains out there if you're prepared to hunt and you don't care about air cooled you know two years ago i bought my 2014 991 turbo s you know i've talked about this before i was not interested in a 991 turbo s because it's a new car even though it's you know um, what is it, nine years old, but the technology is like a dozen years old. But the point that I'm going to ramble on about here is I bought a 2014 991 Turbo S with 50 pages of invoices, one owner car, not four bros thrashing the shit out of it, doing tunes and exhaust and making ridiculous, unusable power and abusing the car. The car was stock other than the replaced transmission that the prior owner had done outside of warranty when it had 120,000 miles on it. So here's the kicker point to this story. Sticker price in 2014, 193 grand. I think the guy was in the car at least 250 grand. Mature owner, lived in Newport Beach, commuted to Beverly Hills. He put 160,000 miles on this car, and I paid $60,000 for it six years later. So once I acquired it, I didn't love the car, but later on when I did like a 1,000-mile road trip in a day, I learned to realize this was the Swiss Army knife of Porsches. And what I also realized when I really started digging deeper, because I was originally looking for a 997 Turbo, I realized that these are, you know, six-figure cars generally, and the average mileage on a 2014-ish Turbo S is probably 50,000 miles is high. The average is probably 25 to 30. So the moral to the story is, if you don't care about mileage, there's still bargains out there. And unfortunately, a lot of Porsche owners and car owners in general, call them sports car owners, get really afraid of mileage. You know, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, in reality, this car. I think if you looked at like Ferraris or something like that, or some of like the really like uh, cars that are kind of on their own little knife edge type of thing. You have to worry about it. But one thing that's always been great about Porsche is you can drive them. The mileage yeah. is a big deal. I mean, I'm now at 172,000 miles. It's not my daily. I've got plenty of other cars to drive. You know, this may be one of the higher mileage Turbo S's in the country. But other than doing little Mickey Mouse plastic cooling lines and things like that, there haven't really been any issues. If I have one gripe about it, it's... The top-of-the-line Turbo S shares a lot of switch gear with entry-level models. Nothing's bespoke on it. You know, the little um, – one sec. Sorry about that. No problem. The little, you know, switches for the hood latch and the windows, these are all the same plasticky parts bin pieces that are on an entry-level Boxster. You know, Porsche doesn't necessarily go, okay – Top-of-the-line Turbo S, 200-grand car, whatever it is, let's do some bespoke switch gear that's nulled aluminum or carbon or whatever it is. It's the same generic parts bin plastic crap that goes in everything else. So they don't differentiate when it comes to a swapping over of parts bin stuff. Those are the little glitches that I've had with the car, along with plastic cooling lines. Nothing really mechanical. 
for a car that, you know, has got a lot of mileage on it. But it was a bargain. So, you know, when people say 911s aren't affordable, I know 60 grand's a lot of money. But when you think the other guy was in it 250 and he only owned it six years, this is a vast amount of depreciation. So what you're saying is the air-cooled stuff has gotten so expensive that you might as well just buy a water-cooled car and have a great experience. I say it all the time. You know, when people come, to, I get it all the time. First time Porsche. I, I wouldn't expect that from you. Like, I, what it's do you mean? just, well, I just, when I think as, oh. as an app, the avatar that is Magnus Walker, I think of all the films that you've done and you're always in. And of course, I guess maybe over the last few years, things have changed in terms of the, the outward public persona. But I just think of you with your air cooled cars. I mean, that's what yeah. I think of most when I well, think of you. I've owned a lot of air cooled 911s and 914s, and I still own a lot. And I don't, you know, I, I've got four water-cooled, I got five water-cooled Porsches. You know, four of them are 996s. You know, one's entry level, one's a GT3, one's a GT2, uh, one's an aero kit. So that's four Gen 1 and Gen 2 996s, which until two years ago, I would say was the best bang for the buck. Yep. So the question came when people were like, first-time Porsche buyer, what's your budget? They tell me what the budget was. Let's say it was thirty grand. I'd be like, forget about air cool. You know, other than the cool factor of what air cool brings, and I get it, the Kool Aid element. I go the practicality and reliability and performance bang for the buck. Just get a nine nine six. You know, and this was back when you could pick up a nine nine six turbo in the thirties to forties. Those days have now gone. But entry level first time Porsche ownership, nine nine six Gen One or Gen Two base model or Carrera model, to me, is the best way to get into 911 ownership. I think a lot of people spin the wheels and spin around where they're looking for the perfect car, you know, which is never out there. Yeah. And our buddies that wanted the perfect air-cooled 911, I go, it doesn't exist. Perfection's not necessary. You've wasted years looking for this perfect car when you could have been, been behind the wheel experiencing everything that you know about, about air-cooled or water-cooled Porsches. Better to get that experience in something that might be, you know, average or whatever, but not perfect, rather than never experiencing anything behind the wheel of a 911. So well, to me, it's kind of boring, too, right? That's not much of an adventure, you know? No, you know, and it's the same with these guys that want GT3s. You know, another guy, yes, a few days ago, I'm giving him a tour of my exhibition at the Peterson. He's yakking on about a GT3, first time Porsche. And I go, why do you want a GT3? You know, this is not a daily. You're not going to drive it that much. It's not that practical. It's a lot of money. You know, a lot of people get sucked into, you know, let's be honest, the big dick attitude of a GT3, GT3 RS has been the pinnacle. But, you know, I guess I'm getting older. So to me, practicality comes into it. You know, I go back to the Swiss Army Knife Turbo S and the LA to Mohab drive 12 hours, 800 miles in one day. I wouldn't want to do that in a GT3. And, you know, it might not be quite as convenient doing it in something like 277. So, you know, may, not maybe. My thought process has changed a little bit on Porsche ownership, not just 911 ownership. You know, I'm all about variety. So it's yeah. front engine, mid engine, rear engine, air and water cooled. So it's everything. You know, yeah. the 924s, 928s, 944s, 968s, 914s, all about variety. So I've sort of moved on from the, a Porsche has to be, you know, this, an air-cooled 911. To me, it doesn't have to be that. Well, speaking of diversity, one of the cars that I chose, so I'm, I picked out 12 cars. You know, I'm like, these cars, 
it's it's just for fun, right? So these are just 12 cars that I like that you could sell your air-cooled 911 and buy today. You could sell your air-cooled 911 for whatever it is, sixty dollars to $150,000 if you've got an impact bumper to a long hood car, and you could buy these. And one of them, and uh, I mentioned this to you when we first started texting about having you on, is the Lamborghini Espada. And it, it blows my mind that I can sell my 911, go online, and buy a one of 1,200 V12 Lamborghini for what I have in my 911. And it just seems like that car, other than the personal relationship I have with my 911, which makes it very special to me, just as a vehicle, the Lamborghini seems far more special. And I know you've driven one, so I just want to hear about what that experience is like and if you agree. Yeah, it's a great concept. I, I've driven on a spot. And when I was doing the show with how you do the big thing, next big thing, you know, when you think of Lamborghini, you don't think of a Sparta, right? It's not the first thing that jumps to mind. You mentioned Lamborghini, it's probably Countach, then Mura, then probably Aventador, probably sure. in that order, I think, for a lot of people. A Sparta, it's like you got to scratch your head. What is barely that? In the top, <laughs> barely in the top 10 of Lamborghinis. But I really like the quirky, oddball cars, that style, that shape. Driving it is a different thing. Driving an Esparta for me was anticlimactic because it's heavy, it's sluggish, it's tractor-like, the seating position's really laid back, it's not ergonomic, it wasn't really fast, it wasn't sharp, it didn't turn, but it also didn't matter because I was in something that was really, really cool and it made me feel cool and it made me feel like this is unique, it's a unique experience. The not common on the road, all of those things sort of mitigated the fact that, yeah, your early 911 will just run circles around a Lamborghini Sparta, but you hit the nail on the head with the V12, the sound of that engine and the clickety click of the gate ship. I mean, I sort of did something very similar because I was half interested in a Lamborghini Sparta until I drove one. And maybe I didn't drive a great one, so I haven't given up on that idea. But another idea I had, maybe a car on your list, I don't know, but I bought it. A 1975 Ferrari 308 GT4 Dino, mm. the only Batoni-designed Ferrari up until probably 2017. And when you think of Ferrari, you don't think of 308 GT4 Dino. No. You know, Batoni-bodied wedge, you know, the poor man's Ferrari, you know, yep. entry-level Ferrari. You can pick these up for 40 grand. You can pick them up for less. And you know, that, a little that bit car like was the comparison Monda. in your video, right? The figure you did for Haggerty was also had that car in it, correct? Yeah, I did. It's so I car. basically bought I bought the, uh, the almost the exact same version of that blue 308, except with Berlinetta trim. It's a better car, a dr better driver's car than the Espada. I think the Ferrari is just more nimble. It's a smaller car. It's also not as nearly engaging as a Porsche driving experience. But just like the Lamborghini with the V12, with the Ferrari, you got the V8 Howl and the clickety-click of the gate ship. So for me, it ticked a lot of similar boxes to the Lamborghini Espada, was actually probably half the price of an Espada, and seemed a little more spirited on the road. The Lamborghini Espada is a very long, sleek car. It's full-on sort of, you know, mid-level mafioso in the 70s in Italy. You can imagine it in a bunch of cool films, and it still looks cool on the street, the one I drove. Like I drove it Vanishing Point in italy i feel like that's the car they would have used yeah for sure you know it'd be like opening scene on a james bond movie yeah. you kind of feel when you get in it that you step back in time and that was what i loved about it the experience 
the older I get, it's less about the speed and going as quick from A to B. I still like that. That's the rush, the need for speed we all have. But along the way, I'm starting to learn variety and experience that are purely analog in this digital age of hybrid and electric cars, you know, any of these old cars will, will stay on the Lamborghini Esparta, but it's the smell, it's the mechanical sound, it's the engagement, it's the awkwardness of having to adapt to a weird seating position and weird pedals. And, you know, it doesn't come easy to get speed out of that car. So it's a bit of a challenge. And it's a classic case of when you're going fast or you sound like you're going fast or you feel like you're going fast, you're not actually going that fast. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's still an engaging thing. Yeah, that's where it's at, though. It's always the whole slow car fast theory, right? I mean, yeah, my buddy has a, a 70 uh, T and I and I love just absolutely wringing that thing's neck. I love that car. Not as much as I love my car with a with a three, two short stroke, of course. But I do love the experience that the car provides. You know, anything slow, even like a rabbit GTI, 90 horsepower, amazing <laughs> car. I mean, There's something great about keeping your foot planted and knowing you've got everything out of the car. Right. That's a problem with the new GT3s. Too much of a race car for the street where you never feel like you actually got anywhere close to the max performance of the car. Yeah. That's where you said it, slow car, fast syndrome really makes you – it's a rewarding thing when you go, okay, I kept my foot planted. There was nothing more. The pedal was to the metal. That was it. I was just steering where it was going. So that doesn't do happen very often here? in the modern car. Say again? Where do you think things go from here with with the air-cooled 911? And it just seems so wild right now that can it can it stay this way? Truth think? be told, I don't really follow the market. You know, I'm not fully aware of what stupid prices things are going on bring a trailer, unless it just happens to be my buddy who either bought or sold something that, <laughs> you know, is twice the price I thought it should be. But I'm not really following really what's going on whether you know like 10 years ago i was really clued into okay my thing was short wheelbase cars 64 through 68 i had them all whether it was a 64 or sport purpose built or an s you know and they became a big thing to have and got really expensive then it was long hoods up to 73 then for me it was turbos so i i don't know i think maybe the novelty has cooled a little bit on the cool factor of air cooled maybe a little bit you know, and it seems to be like, you know, all these hotheads have got to have, I hate to keep bragging on the GT3, but that just keeps coming up more than I hear people saying, I have to have a 67S or I have to have a 64 or 65 or I have to have a 75 Turbo. These are the things that I lusted after only because they were the beginning of every era. We all love the 911. So for me, I had to start with, I got to have one of the first 232 built and that was a 64. So I'm a goal-orientated collector. Same with the turbo. First year of turbocharging was 75. So I had to have a 75 and I chased it. But there were certain things that I never lusted after. Like to a lot of people, the holy grail of air cooled is a 73 RS Carrera, right? Porsche made 1,580 of them. It's not like the rare or the only made 20. Right. And everyone separate of the VIN number, myself included, has duplicated their version in a replica mode for a fraction of the price. So to me, I never lusted after a 73 hours career. You know, it was a little bit like what I call the uh, the Cobra kit syndrome of when you see a real Shelby Cobra, the first thing you think of, is it a kit? And to me, the, I put the 73 hours career in the yes. same category. 
The answer is almost always yes. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> it's similar with a 73 RS Carrera. Yeah. You know, put on some flares, put on a ducktail, put on an S fiberglass bumper, put it on some sevens and eights, and hey, put a Carrera stripe on it. It's hard to tell the difference. It is. It is. Absolutely. I think the thing that makes it hard for me is I don't really care how my, much my car is worth. I'm not going to sell my car. I'm just not. The experience is too special to me, and it does isn't replicable anywhere else. What the difficulty comes in is the way that I drive my car. I've put 70, 80,000 miles on that car in 10 years. I really drive the shit out of it. That's pretty good. And maintaining that car is becoming increasingly difficult. I did the whole front pan on the car. Yeah, I saw it. And the fenders were $2,500 each. Wow. And I just go, man, it gets really, really hard for a guy like me to to continue to drive the car the way I want to drive the car when I – when I'm driving on the Moki Dugway, drifting around at the thing, and I'm listening to the engine, I don't want to go. Oh my God, that's right. That motor was like this much money. Ah, I don't want to. Th- I don't want to have those thoughts and have those feelings. So it becomes hard to imagine using it the way I want. And I'm hoping yeah. I'll be able to push through it. I think I probably will find a way. But it it definitely will enter my mind. I get it. I mean, for me, having got into it 30 years ago, and I'm coming into it for. I bought stuff that ran for 2,500 bucks, three grand, four grand, five grand. So I amassed all these parts. So, you know, when I hear 2,500 bucks for an A fender and you need a pair, that's five grand. I mean, I bought cars for less than that. So for me, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's nuts. For me, I was lucky that I was able to keep a lot of the parts. And as we know, everything's interchangeable, you know, all the way from the 64 up to the 993, almost everything's interchangeable with a few modifications. You know, I put manual window and crank uh, windows in the door from a 65.912 that dropped right into my 1990.964. And 964s were always electric windows. But the point I'm going to make here is Porsche had never changed the interior skin pressing of the door panel. So the frame dropped right in and the four mounting holes, there was already threaded in the door panel from a (laughs) 1990.964, which was never manual. Right. So everything's interchangeable, which made performance and hot rodding and everything we love about 911s up to 993, the go-to car, right? Because you could pick them up inexpensively at the time. And if you wanted to put a 3.6 motor in your 64 911, the same four bolt holes that hold the two liter in are the same mounting spots for the 3, uh, 3.6 yeah. motor. Yeah, that's really So special. that's what made them all great. That's also, in the end, what made it difficult to find one that was original that hadn't been upgraded if you were – a purist that wanted your numbers matching experience. So right. I don't know. For me, like I say, I haven't bought an air-cooled 911 in a long time. I haven't sold one in a long time. And I kept all the ones that I, you know, I really, really connected with. Because no two are ever the same, you know, because right. obviously over 40, 50 years, as you know, a lot of things have been tweaked, modified, put back together. So some rattle more than others and some just feel better than others. No two are ever the same. So that's great about the variety element to it as well. It's not like modern cars where you can get in 10 of them and they're all the same. Experience and sound and they do the same thing become more of an appliance. Loses that analog experience. This is a conversation that you can't really, I can't, I'm trying to think of other cars as we kind of talk about like, you know, the car being able to be changed this much over this many years, the windows fit this, the motor's bolt in. I can't, over the course of 30, 40 years, I don't really think there's anything else. Yeah, I mean, up to the 993, which is what, fifth generation, depends how you count them. You look at the two of the longest-running production cars, the Corvette, which is now, what is it, 50, is 70 years old. 
Yeah. You look at the Mustang, which is 60 years old, and you look at the 911, which is 60 years old. Those three are all icons. They've all been in constant production for 60 to 70 years. They're all instantly recognizable as a shape. But the first 30 years of Mustang and Corvette production, nothing's interchangeable from a C2 to a C3. Yeah. It's all over the place. Nothing. Whereas the 911, like I said, the first 30 years, everything's real similar. Like the 964 may be the first 911 with coilovers, and we know it's 80% different underneath, but the silhouette's the same, and certain things like dropping in doors and door frames. And I even put a short wheelbase 65 non um, louvered heat element glass, and it dropped right in as well with a 65 rubber seal into a 199964. So it's easy to retrofit that type of thing to it. You couldn't put a you know a 53 door into a 83 Corvette and it would fit, but you could do it with a 911. Yeah. I mean that's I mean that might be something that touches on why things are the way that they are. I mean, there's a lot I mean, of different Porsche definitely got that right. Unlike this design study that came out today for the 357, which just doesn't look right. Uh-oh. You know, it's it's kind of like they got the 911 right. Porsche 357. Oh no. <laughs> oh, there you no. go. You haven't seen it yet? I uh, know. I've been. Oh no. Yeah, I've been doing stuff. It's what is what is this? What, what is it supposed to even be? I don't well, even... you know, I think Porsche teamed up with Chrysler and Nissan and came up with a concept that which was a throwback slash modern homage interpretation of a three five six. But shouldn't the concept look great and then it gets watered down into production? Not like well, the concept doesn't really proportionately look right and the back's too chopped and the roof line's wrong and the front just doesn't go with it but you go this is porsche and it's a concept how is this not looking awesome yeah it's interesting well it doesn't really exist it only exists in digital space which is which is but still a- in digital space isn't that the perfect place to make easier. something epic and perfect oh for sure for sure but it's also maybe there because it's not tangible it doesn't hold as much weight i don't know i see all this stuff being design in the digital space and i'm like oh well that's not real that's not real that'll never be real it's kind of a bummer you know a lot of manufacturers yeah. are doing that now yeah for sure anyway dude your uh, your opinion and thoughts are I'm, I'm very grateful for them i'm thankful that you spent time with me today and uh you know i'll be out probably my motor will be done in a month or two i hope who's building that marco marco okay got it. all right it's cool. in good hands and what are you building again Oh, it's actually another three. It they they repaired the case, yeah. and it's a three-two short stroke, but it's okay. got uh like powder rods and like titanium uh, retainers. All all the heads have all been done, so now it's uh it's even uh, much bigger cams. So it's it's more than it was before. So that, that are you going to drive it back? Yeah, I'm probably going to leave it out there for a little bit because I can't. It's all it's all salt here. Yeah, Everything I is covered it. in salt, so I can't drive it home. So I'll probably. I got a question for, a for you. Yeah. Just, um, what are your thoughts? This is a big year for Porsche. We know 75th anniversary. How, how are you feeling about 75 years of Porsche and where Porsche is going and the direction? And give me your oh, thoughts. Jeez. Um, I think Porsche, like most manufacturers, are in a very difficult position where they're using their heritage to bolster the new things that are coming, even though the heritage doesn't really tie to what they're doing anymore. Right. So it's a marketing thing. Yeah, it's, it's hard. I, I I feel for them. And and Dodge did the same thing with the car that they came out with. You know, it's called the, I don't remember what it was called, but their electric thing that they're doing. And I saw no now that the, no the, <laughs> the 911 hybrid is coming out. And 
I remember like a year ago, I read a press release where the 9-11 will always be this. And now they're, they're doing this hybrid thing and it's, they're slapping turbo badges on everything and it's electric and it's all this stuff that they're just building off of the heritage, but the heritage isn't, doesn't really exist in the new cars. It only exists in name and and concept only. And and I feel for them. What else are they supposed to do? They have to. One of my pet peeves, other than GT3 RS paint to sample owners, is the Taycan, the turbo Taycan. Mm-hmm. Real turbos have turbos, right? Like a three liter, yeah. you know, 75, 930 turbo, forced induction, internal combustion engine, turbocharging technology. We know what that does. What does that do on an electric car? You know, it's like putting a turbo badge on a hairdryer. I think what has changed is. The marketing department to attract buyers has just turned things turbo because turbo always represented the pinnacle of performance in a model range. It was like the, the 930 turbo. The turbo was, was the, the most special 911 you could get. Yeah. The right? turbo was the future. Yeah, it was great. Back in the 70s right. and 80s, turbo was the future. They were, everything was forward looking with turbo. Now it yeah. seems like so, it's. Here is my big beef. It's like a turbo badge on a Taycan that has no turbo. But then every nine, every 911 other than a GT3 is actually turbocharged. But they don't call the entry-level Carrera a turbo. It's just a Carrera, even though it's, it's a turbo, non-turbo, right? Mm-hmm. So they're, not even, they're mismarketing like the entry-level car by not calling it a turbo. And then on the opposite end, they're putting a turbo badge on something that didn't even have a turbocharger what, on it. What are they supposed to do? And no one's saying, though? hey, this is ridiculous. Are they just supposed to die? Like, what are they supposed to do? All they have, like, if you look at 911, it's not like they built a whole lot of cars in their heritage. I mean, they did, but they were all 911s and turbos and stuff like that. And if they're going to get everybody now to get on the bandwagon with everything they're doing for the future, they can't just go, okay, well, we've we've based our entire company off of this one chassis for yeah. 60 you years. You got to remember, though, like, the 911 today is only 10% of Porsche sales. Yeah, I, I understand that, but it's still nobody was nobody would be buying Macans and Cayennes if the turbo didn't exist, right? But, you and know. you also got to ask: So, does the average Macan owner actually know what a nine eleven turbo is? Probably not, but that's where the prestige yeah. comes from. The prestige is built on the shoulders of the heritage of everything that came before. Of, of so course, even they yeah. have nothing okay. left to they have. They don't have anything else to build upon. It's it's all there is. That 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 is Porsche. What are they supposed to? I don't blame them. I just think it's sad. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Well, I appreciate your feedback on that. Yeah, man. And hey, thanks thanks for having me on to voice my opinion. I appreciate uh, your time and as always, good chatting. Yeah, well, uh, maybe we come out and get some coffee in a couple months. I'll come say hello. Stay caffeinated and stay lubricated, my friend. Oh my God, I will try. <laughs> Take it easy. See ya. See ya. All right. Many thanks to Magnus for continuing to come on the podcast and support us and be part of what we do. Absolutely. Uh, guy has really grown on me over the last decade he's grown on you <laughs> yeah, i mean before you you don't know anybody you kind of just low okay that's the guy that made 911 expensive fuck that <laughs> but once he gets on he's a, he's, a, he's a great guy. you're right yeah he, okay. he's really, he's really, uh, ironic that this is where you're interviewing him yes yeah, it, it's true it's true it's, i just think his his perspective and of course the spot of perspective but more importantly his perspective on this is uh is invaluable and i say that recording this segment without even talking to him yet yeah I just know. I just know he's gonna he's gonna have eloquence and and uh, and spons- insight. Insight. Yes, yes absolutely. absolutely. All right. So I have a uh, a song to play with this with this next car. Ooh, is this like 
some some music bed, some mood. No, it's not music bed. This is the a, a theme song. Oh, okay. All right, let's get the the vibe going. I'm thinking it's 80s, Chris. Yeah, well, we've already got a vibe, right? Yeah, we I got mean, the well, vibe this, right here. Oh, well, the this, vibrating in oh, this spot, by the yeah. way, nine out of ten. For me. Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, come on. Yes. What is the vibrating? Hold on. What's the vibrating of a 9-11? Yeah, we didn't really talk about that. I think I asked that last week. I hesitate. I think we should end the ep- end the series with what that is. Are you okay with that? I am, but we're going to have to think about that and clarify. Like, are we talking specifically your car? Um, We should also go back and make sure you didn't say a vibrating for the 9-11. We didn't. Okay. I know we didn't. Uh, we could do both. We could do my car. Which is cooler than every other air cooled 911. And Ever. then we can talk about <laughs> regular ones too. Regular ones. I swear we talked about this because you gave a vibrating for mine and yours. Did we? I am I think almost we did. positive we'll because th- you were like, yours is less by, I forget how much less. And I was like, really? Okay. Well, whatever. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> I don't know. What, what am I doing? I do not know. This is, this is all for fun. You know, I'm just having fun. I'm if glad we gave, you're having fun. If we vibrated this. together with that other thing, it's <laughs> fun. That's, okay. Yeah, we did vibrate. Uh-huh. Okay, so... All right, speaking of vibrating... Yes. Every respectable 80s teenage boy either had this... Uh-huh. ...or a Countach or a 930 on it postered on his wall. Okay. Word has it that this poster sales alone are solely responsible for the raising of an entire Brazilian rainforest. <laughs> the car is so cool that it is on IMDb as a character from a movie. Okay. W- or from a TV show, which is what this theme song is from. Oh, I don't know it. Miami Vice. Oh, yes. This thing is so cool that Dr. Dre bought a white one so that he could have one from the TV show. It is so cool that it was the hero for a video game called OutRun in the 80s. It's an arcade hit and overall legendary industry pioneering game. It's a game where you're a dude running from the cops, probably in Miami with a hot blonde girlfriend. How cool is that? (laughs) What kind of vibe does that bring to the table? This car is unequivocally cool. And due to its styling, a cultural icon of the 80s. What does the 911 have? No Man's Land. A barely okay movie with a 911 <laughs> Turbo with Gotti's on it. That movie sucks so bad that they didn't even release it on Blu-ray. You have to download it to get a widescreen version. The chase is scene that the is, only 911 movie? No. That's the 911 movie. The chase scene is as <laughs> overrated in, as the movie in, in that one, and it's only heralded as cool. Uh, because other than Bad Boys, it is uh-huh. one of the only movies where 911 is the feature car. Hmm. What is it? This car? Yeah, what is it? This is the Ferrari Testarossa. This is a Ferrari Obviously. Testarossa. As soon as you Jake, say Miami Vice, Jake, you know. Think about this for a sec, okay? Yeah. When did the, okay, when did the, you're, I'm talking posters <laughs> on, on the wall. When did the F40 come out? Uh, early, late, late 80s, early 90s. Okay, so yeah. later in this. Yes. L- later than the Testarossa. I want, just want you to like. What? In your mind. Yeah. Just picture picture, it? picture a Testarossa. It's just side streaks for days. Picture a Testarossa. Yeah, I got it. Picture yourself in the Testarossa. Oh, yeah. Grabbing the steering wheel. Okay. How do you feel? I feel pretty damn cool. You feel really fucking cool. Yeah. You feel elite. <laughs> right? You I, can afford one of these for a 911 they're price? Like, they're like 100 to 150,000. dollars Okay. You, you you can actually sell your 911 and own a Testarossa. That's how absurd why, things have That's so why insane. Why wouldn't to we me. do that? That's so insane to me. Why wouldn't we do that? Why, Gosh, why are we not in Testarossas right now? I will tell you why I will never own a Testarossa over my car. 
Oh. Okay. Then why are you talking this car up? Because we're having fun. Okay. I love this car. <laughs> you could sell, I mean, in terms of cool, a Testarossa is cooler than an I-11. Yeah. Maybe we should, I'll save this. I'll save this for the end of the episode. We'll talk about some things that I want to talk about, okay? Okay. For now, let's just stick with the Testarossa. Sit down. And we're going to have a talk later. And you we're in gonna it. We're going to have a talk later. You're in it. You're sitting on a telephone book. Okay. So you can see over the dashboard. Yeah, probably very low and you're, seats. You're in and your Testarossa with 15 and a half inch wheels. Yeah. With, Wait, with, half inch? Yeah, they had like super special tires. Really? <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Oh. The Testarossa, dude. I just I, imagine, imagine like, tires. imagine that car parked, uh huh, or pulling up to the valet and getting out of that car. It, it would have to be red for me. It would red, have to. red, yes. absolutely red, right? Red. This this car is so fucking cool. This might be one of the in terms of cool and vibe. Yeah. This might be one of the coolest cars ever. Yeah. I mean, it, I put it as I mean, a Countach is really cool too, but a Lamborghini is not a Ferrari. Okay. I always see Lamborghinis as cars built by a guy with a tractor company. I can't get over it. I know that's <laughs> really I, I can't. I just can't. Okay. I love Lamborghinis. Yeah. But compared to a Ferrari? Uh, okay. I just uh, the Testarossa. Maybe this is what you're gonna talk about later, but like Hold on. Just let me let me keep going. Okay. If I miss something, you can you can talk yeah, to me about no, it. No, I I think I know where you're it's going. It's a though. simple mid-engine 4.9 liter flat 12 powered sports car. Is it simple? No, not at all. You said simple. I know, but it isn't. Okay. <laughs> Which Porsche can you drive on the street with a uh -huh. flat 12? Yeah, none of them. None. None. So even Ferrari did flat engines cooler. <laughs> the mass-produced Ferrari debuted at the 1984 Paris Auto Show. Uh-huh. Over the years, Ferrari made 10,000 Testarossas. And though it was the first mass-produced Ferrari, 10,000 still makes it rarer than most air-cooled 911s by far. Yeah, no, obviously. Okay, so this was considered their first mass-produced car. Yes. Interesting. Yes. Vibrating. Yes. I have a 9.89 out of 10. I'm just going to give it a 10 out of 10. Yeah. 10 out of 10 for error-defining, pinafarina, panty-dropping styling. It's a cultural <laughs> icon. It's a flat 12, engine, flat 12 engine. It's a fucking Ferrari. Honorable mention to the 348, too, with the V8. You can get those for like 40, 50 grand now. True. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's not the flat 12 no, that it's not. is. And I raced one in my car, and then I was faster. In mine, so what, my my forty eight, yeah, my car is faster than a three forty eight. So yeah, if the Ferrari's not, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, what do you think? I what do you think? What do you think of this? I love it. Um, there's something we haven't talked about with any of the cars though. What's this? And it's the the perception of the person that drives it. If I saw someone get out of a Ferrari, it depends on what they're wearing. Okay, like I would look at. I would here's look, the problem. Here's, here's what I would do. Someone pulls up to valet the Ferrari. I'm the valet. Okay, yeah. I used to valet, and I would do this. Okay. Someone would pull up a car. I would open the door, and I would immediately look at the person's watch, uh -huh. and I would look at their shoes. Okay. Not their clothes. Their watch and their shoes. Interesting. Because even grubby rich dudes usually have a nice watch. Yep. Of some usually it's subdued, but if it's like some giant like Paytech Philippe thing or okay. some ma just like massive expensive watch, the guy's a douche. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. you can okay. tell a yeah. lot. Like today, I'm wearing a gold Timex. I love this watch. A lot. This watch to me is just as cool as my my Rolex. I, I match my Seiko fives to my vest. Seiko fives, fantastic watch. Great watch. Absolutely amazing. Yep. If you got over a Ferrari and you were wearing that, I would think you were cool. I would think he doesn't actually own that Ferrari. If you're wearing a Seiko five and a Ferrari Testarossa, I don't know. I own a hundred and fifty thousand dollar Porsche and I'm wearing an eight dollar Timex. True. You know, I it's what the watch someone's wearing. Says and, a well, lot. that get that gets to my point though. I can't see a guy wearing a Seiko. 
getting out of this car. It's always going to be the guy that has the Ferrari hat on. It's always going to be the no. guy. Or he's got the cocaine white jacket who thinks he's still in 1984. I don't know. I guess, I, I you know, honestly, I've never seen anybody get out of one of these. Yeah. I've seen them park around, the thing. but I've never seen the individual that owns one and drives one. And we are going to talk to someone that owns one okay. here in a second. I'm excited. Yeah. But there's something to be said about you, you have to go to Ferrari meets then. If you're going to go to a thing, you don't want to go to a Ferrari Oh, I would. Meet. That's the last place I would go. Right. I would go anywhere but a Ferrari meet. I would show up at the Honda meet. I would show up <laughs> at every meet except the Ferrari meet. That's well. You said you know you'd always have to be Ferrari over Lamborghini because Lamborghini is just the guy with the tractor trying yeah. to screw Ferrari. I kind of like Lamborghini. Well, ostentatious in its own separate way. Yeah, like that's the baller car, right? Yep. Is the Lambo, but I feel like they're less pretentious than a Ferrari guy. I think it's important to look at it in the lens of the '80s versus today. Yeah, so you're looking at it the lens of today, where well, we're talking about the Audi. car you could have. Yeah, but like, let, I try to take everything in the context of when it was built, uh -huh. you know, because otherwise you're just comparing apples to oranges. You want to compare apples to apples, right? Yeah. Countach, Testarossa, right? I yeah. mean, as a car, the Testarossa is a far better car. Yes. The the Countach is far more ostentatious. Oh, big time. You know, it's but it's. A, it's a terrible car. Are they? They're terrible. I haven't driven one, but everyone I talk to that has is like, that's not a good car. Not well, you can't car. see out of them. But you drive it for you drive it for the vibe. Yeah. Right? That's 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 the reason. I suppose. All right. So let's talk to Mark, who owns one of these, and oh, get I'm his excited. opinion. Maybe we can ask what kind of watch he has, and hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we didn't insult the guy here. We'll, 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 we'll see how it goes. All right. We'll be right back. Hey, man. Thanks for coming on the podcast to talk Ferrari Testarossa with me. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, it's no problem at all. I, uh... I got your name from my friend Jason, who is from Rotorform and Wheel Pro, stuff like that. He said you're quite the character, and I think, you know, the uh, the lead up to this to this segment of you and I, which you haven't seen yet, nobody's seen yet, is how I think that owning a Testarossa, the best thing about it would be getting out of the Testarossa and people seeing you get out of the car and do whatever it is you're going to do. And that's it. That was, seems like that would be the best part about it. It's just the getting out and being like, the guy that's getting out of it. What are, what is it like to own one of these things? I love it. Um, you know, it's a 1985 flying mirror. So it's a European spec and I okay. actually ended up buying it twice, but nevertheless, um, how does that I work? Had, uh, <laughs> well, oddly enough, I traded, uh, well, so since it's on Porsche, right. I traded a 930 1979 and my test for a Audi R8 GT4 race car about okay. a year and a half ago. So I did, I actually, <laughs> right. Porsche and the test was for deal. The guy called me probably six or eight months ago on the test dress and said, Hey, do you want to buy it back? I said, Absolutely. Well, guess what? He sold it to me for the same price I traded it to him for. So I was instantly sitting on some equity in it, but I ran to the bank as fast as I could, wired him the money. And yeah, yeah. It's back in my garage. And too bad he didn't have a Testarossa to drive to the bank. That seems like that would have been the way to do it. I know. Yeah. So what's the, but, what's the experience uh, like? What great it, cars. What's the experience of owning one of these Testarossas like? You know, they're obviously that, the Countach, the Diablo, they're all very, like, really iconic cars of the 80s. So driving around town, obviously you're going to get a lot of looks. Uh, 
you know, I think for, just from the Miami Vice uh, perspective, I think that, you know, the white on the white is, is pretty desirable. Um, but the uh, mine's red with tan, um, dog leg transmission. They are uh, just, they're just super, super fun to drive and to be around. And they're highway cars. You know, these things on the highway are really, really nice. That's not necessarily what you think of when you think of a Ferrari as, as, as a highway car. It's a big body. It's long. It's wide. It's very wide. It's long. It's, it is a highway car. To me, it is. I still drive it around town, but, you know, being in first gear and the longer gears, it kind of, if you're in traffic, it's, it's a little bit of an issue to, you know, keep putting in the clutch all the time and moving up only 10 or 20 feet at a time. So you say Countach and some of these other things. Do you own those as well, or have you owned like a Countach or Diablo or any of these other Italian cars? So I've got, I've got about 40 to 45 cars in my collection, and I've currently got a Diablo. In fact, Jason just made a set of rotiform wheels for it, and I'll be getting those nice. tomorrow. Sent them out. Oh, all right, all right. So, custom set, and I think Rotoform's going to do a video on it down in Miami next week. Right on, right on. Yeah, I guess everything's coming together with Sebring down there. It's, it's everything's happening in Florida between Sebring and Daytona and everything else. Correct. Yep. I, in fact, I just yeah, raced yeah. Sebring last weekend. Right on. So, in terms of like what I feel like it would be to own and and operate a Testarossa, you know, you say it's one of like forty cars. What is the the personality of that car compared to anything else? Is there anything unique about it that that defines it as something special for you? You know, it is. It's that iconic car. When you drive down the road, people know exactly what it is. They don't have to question it. They go, that's a Testarossa. And even pulling into the gas stations, older, older gentlemen, you know, females, everybody of older age, younger age, they all pretty much know what it is. And it's just, it, it, you get a feeling when you drive it, it's, it's a big car, but when you drive it, you're just like, I'm the king of the road. It's a great feeling. Yeah, yeah, man. Do you also have an outrun arcade machine in your basement? I feel like you I have do not. To. <laughs> Come on, man. You got to get one not. of those. It's got to go. You, you got to just like put it right in the garage, right next to the car. Because the blonde chick with yeah. the dude in the car, plus Miami Vice was like, like that car just, I can't think of any other car from the 80s. Obviously, there's the 959 and the, and the F40 came about and there's all these other cars. But in terms of and and uh, the 930, but that started earlier, so that doesn't even really count. But the the Testarossa with like in terms of poster car with all the pop culture surrounding it, it's it's like the 80s car. It is. It, it's it's a blast. It is. I, I like I said. What I tape think the white you... on white. Go ahead. I was gonna. We got a little bit of delay. I'm sorry about that. Um. The uh. What do you have a tape deck in that car? Is there a tape deck in there, or do you have actually... a, a stereo? So on the on the center dash, the radio is actually hidden. You have to lift up a lid, and the radio's behind it in the center. And mine's actually been changed out to a CD player prior to me getting oh. it. What do you? What CD is in there right now? What CD is always in that car? I think. <laughs> what I do you? Billy Idol, I think, is in there. Billy yeah. Idol. I was going to say Billy Idol. Maybe a little Skid Row or a little Duran Duran or something. Yeah. 
think I've got Billy Idol in there right now. So, but that uh, works. That works. Yeah, I wish it still had the tape deck. Uh yeah, you know, there's something especially about like when you're in an old car and like putting the tape in, it's like, and then you hit the buttons, and yeah, there's something. And then you flip going. it. You got to flip it to play yeah. the other side. You got to flip it. All right, dude. Man, I appreciate it. It was great getting your perspective on Testarossa ownership. Thanks for hanging out with me. I I appreciate all the legwork to get it done, and uh, I hope you have a good one, man. Awesome. Thanks. Have a good night. Yeah, you too. Take care. All right. Next. Next on the list. This car Uh defined Great Britain on the world rally stage in its day. So it's a Mini Cooper, finally. In its day. It put the tent in the pants of millions of British kids in what was, aside from Group B, one of the best times for the World Rally Championship okay, so and not rallying in general. It's got a whale tail that actually looks like, unlike, a that, of a real, <laughs> unlike that of a rear sport of a 911, an actual whale tail. <laughs> it looks exactly like when you are behind a crotch rocket and the thong is sticking out. Oh, God. It's exactly what this thing looks like. Uh-huh. It's exactly what it looks like. Uh-huh. This wing truly worked on this car. It was the first mass-produced car to come produce both front and rear downforce. The Ford Escort Cosworth RS. Oh, I'm sorry for the purists. The Ford Escort RS Cosworth yes. is a rally version of the homologation. I have trouble with that word. Homologation. Homologation. I'm always like homologation. Hum- hum- While you're stumbling, what I would love to point out is you talked about one of the first cars to actually produce downforce on the front and rear. Yep. What you have to realize is, sure, other cars created downforce, but what they're actually doing is just negating lift, right? Because a car naturally creates lift the way it's shaped. Yep. And so every downforce up until this was just creating, like negating that lift Most effect. consumer cars this, still generate lift. Correct. <laughs> this, when you drive it, it's actually pushing down the suspension as you go faster. Right. So most cars developed lift because it's all about aerodynamics in terms of fuel economy. Correct. Not, not performance. And, Anyways, and that was a good uh, segue while you were stumbling over homologation hum- special. Homologation special. It was a homologation special of the fifth generation European Ford Escort. Correct. Which is legend. Every Ford Escort is fantastic. Um, That's where I'm going to stop you right there. Why? Every Escort... Other than the one Europe, yes, was good. Can I talk you through the Ford Escorts real quick? You didn't like yours? No, I did not. Here's a hat tip if you'd like. You can go uh, watch Jake (laughs) complain about Ford Escorts on our YouTube thing, which is the what was it? YouTube episode that was feature film. Yeah, the best of the worst. Best of the worst. He drives a Ford Escort, I drive a Ford Pinto. We take him to the track, it's a good time. (laughs) It was interesting. Okay, here's the thing about the Ford Escorts, though. So the first-gen Ford Escort available— I will tell you right now. What's that? When I think Ford Escort, I never think about the American one. It doesn't cross my mind. It's but like a many European people enthusiast. living here do. That's true. I know. True. The first-gen Ford Escort was amazing. It looks cool. It's got the three-box design, but yeah. it has a sloped roof. Yeah. And it was the, uh, the Lotus Ford. Yeah. Also did one. Okay, so that's awesome. Front engine, rear-wheel drive. The second-gen— Front engine, rear-wheel drive. The third generation, front engine, rear-wheel drive. Yeah. Fourth gen, world car, front engine, front drive. Yeah. That's the one that the you world got car, that's me the- that was terrible. <laughs> and it, was, fifth, it, was, it was an automatic, too. <laughs> it was so bad. But it was the HO, Chris. Oh, it was the high oh, output. Yes. The fifth generation, that, that came That was the along. only car I've sold on Bring a Trailer, by the way. Okay. Just so you know, I have some Bring a Trailer experience. Yep. 
Oh, God. Yeah, the fifth gen came out in 1990. Fun fact, it was also sold by Volkswagen in South America as the Pointer. Really? Correct. Weird. Yes, it was. It was also the Volkswagen Logos in also South America. So they sold it as two different cars. Here's what's interesting about this car, though. Did you know that the RS Cosworth, the Escort RS Cosworth, is not an Escort chassis? What is it? It is based on the Sierra Cosworth. Yes. So it's a Sierra. Yes. Not an Escort. Yes. Because it's a bigger car and they already had a bigger engine in the bay. Yep. So what they did is they took Escort body panels and put it on the Cosworth, or I'm sorry, the Sierra. And Mm. that is how they made it basically a super fast version of the Escort is because it's actually a Sierra under all of it. That's interesting. I did not know that. Yes. The, The engine you're talking about is the YBT. And I believe so, yes. I didn't go that deep in it, but it's it's not an escort under all of the body panels. So this this not an escort escort yes. was yes. designed to qualify as a group A car for the World Rally Championship. Yes. In which it competed between nineteen ninety three and nineteen ninety eight. It was available as a road car from ninety two until ninety six in very limited numbers. Yes. The first twenty five hundred cars ma- made before the first of January are in fact homologation special versions. It was instantly recognizable due to the Massive wing. The massive, no. Whale this tail. is a whale tail. Whale tail. Okay. It is. It's actually a whale tail. Porsche's whale tail, not a whale tail. Just a big, fat, ugly. I think they're ugly. I, I hate the term whale tail in general because what is it? It's either a wing or it's a spoiler, which there is a difference. Do you know the distinction? What is it? Tell between me. a wing and a spoiler? A spoiler literally just spoils the lift created on the natural like car okay. shape, right? The, um, what am I talking about? The roof, right? So a spoiler. Give me an example of a car that has a spoiler. <clears throat> a spoiler on it. is any like sedan where it's just something kind of added on that looks like a little. Like the like, little lip on a, on the back of an M5. Yes, the little, that is a spoiler. Got it. Even technically the like lauded 911 uh, Carrera RS with the ducktail. Yep. That is a spoiler. Okay. Because like, think about it. It's not a wing. There's no air going underneath it to create downforce lift right. in the opposite direction. Yep. That is what a wing is. So anything that has raised side strikes and is an actual winged surface that creates downward lift, AKA downforce, that's a wing versus a spoiler, which is just trying to counteract the lift generated by the natural shape of the car. All right. If you accidentally skip that segment, <laughs> you can hit back 30 seconds and you can listen to it again. All right, so this uh, this thing has the had the YBT, like I mentioned, okay. which was a highly tunable uh, turbocharged two liter, had two hundred twenty four horsepower and standard trim, but tuning companies have achieved power outputs of over a thousand. Wow, the Out entire of a two reason- liter. <laughs> wow, I bet that thing's like a two one or a two two. You know, if it's, a, <laughs> I bet they've done some serious work to it to get the, get it there. Yeah, that's the entire ridiculous. reason this car existed was to win WRC. That's it. That yeah. was its sole purpose. Yeah. It didn't, but it did win eight <laughs> events between 1993 and 1996. It's a Group A car. And so it two is more a failed car. In the World Rally, uh, World Rally Championship in 97-98 before it was replaced by the Focus RS WRC, which as a car is not even close to as cool. The what car? The uh, Ford Focus. Yes, no, the I WRC, agree. The WRC. No. Ford Focus RS WRC. I agree. Boring. Yes, you know, 100%. That's, that's the car that I was always like, I was in uh, like dirt or something like that. And you'd have to like, you'd have to use that car for a little bit. And I always felt like I was driving some like dorky secretary, like admin assistant's car <laughs> through the dirt. That's lame. Yes. Absolutely lame. Not a car. The RS was not built to win rallies. The, R- the Ford Focus was built to sell at dealerships for $4. Oh, correct. Yeah. Yes. Totally different inception and reason for a car there's very it, it is interesting can you think of any cars that is that are designed today that are homo- 
Where's, is anything homologated anymore? No. There isn't anything, is there? We need to talk about that sometime. Well, that's how so many of these special cars were created. Right, they're homologation specials to like enter the, into racing the series. Lancia Stratos, the, yep, the, all of them. the Urquattro, the, yep. like all these cars that were like homologated. Right, so Does is there that any car anymore? designed today specifically to homologated into a racing well, here's what's interesting. So, like, this car is based off of a production car. Yes. It's not like they made the Escort just to go with rally racing. Some could be argued. But regardless, what you're talking about is a specific model version yep. that was created just for homologation purposes to get into yes. rally racing. Yes. Um, Instead of just taking... So, you would have to... The whole point was you're taking a car for the road and racing it. Mm -hmm. And they say, you well... You have to be able to make this many of them. Right. So that's what homologation is. You have to make this many of them. Yes. Which led us to like, what, like the secretary cars and all these yeah. different things, yep. you know, that, that happened that manufacturers have like skirted the rules to like make enough of these. But obviously Ford was like, well, I think why don't we just, this Ford Escort's pretty cool. It's, we could just run this instead. And then you've got this little, ming, 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 ming. it's just, it's not a cool car. Yeah, so two things. I think the latest vehicle I can think of that had some sort of homologation special, I want to say one of the Mitsubishi Evos had a homologation version of it. Mm. Like the Evo 8 or 9 had some sort of... Like the MR or something? Yeah, the MR was just a trim level that was yeah. stripped down. But I want to say it was like a Japanese-only thing that was maybe a homologation special. I'm not a big JDM car guy, so I apologize. However... You're talking about the escorts and the WRC, not yes. escorts. The uh, the uh, focus, the focus, focus. There's one cool thing about the focus that I'm going to do a mini history story on. They go at least thirty, forty thousand miles without changing their oil. <clears throat> Jesse, oh God, my wife. When I first met her, had a Ford Focus, drove it just twenty-eight thousand miles, never changed the oil. I'm like, did, did you ever change the oil? Add or check oil? Never. Wow, that's actually a testament to it is. reliability. It is. <laughs> no, what I was going to say is, uh, talking about WRC, what they did is they, like it was a highly turbocharged engine running a bunch of boost, but they had a ton of lag. So rather than anti-lag or maybe in addition to anti-lag, they had a giant air compressor in the back. It was an air tank behind the rear bumper that they run boost through and be able to close a valve. And then when it's off boost, they'd open up this compressed tank. Wow. Yeah, so that's, that's a cool fact about the Focus. That's like a turbocharging capacitor. Yes. Is basically yeah, what that is. That's, you're right, it that's is. That's pretty rad. All right, so we uh, have a, a, one of the owners. His name's Greg Kisar. I've been jealous of his yellow uh, Escort for a very long time. So I'm hoping this and is will... And he, is he based here in the States? Uh, yes, yes, he is. I'm hoping that this will butter him up enough for me to drive it someday. Yeah, Let's yeah, absolutely. With that. What are these? Did you talk? What are these worth? What can you get? Oh, these they're for? like 40 to 60 grand, 70, really nice one, maybe 80s, really? 60, 50. Yeah. That's affordable on this list. Yes, it is. It is very affordable on this. So is the next car. But for now, let's talk to Greg. Mr. Greg, how do you say your last name? How do you say that? Keys are like, you know where my keys are. <laughs> I wish I knew where your keys were. Dude, the object yeah. of my of my lust, the object of my desire. The the one car that I would most likely absolutely trade my 911 for is yours. You own it. I might take you up on that. Ah, don't put your don't. Well, I think you know what might be fun is if I were to somehow next time at least at least when I'm out you're on East Coast right somewhere. Yeah, I'm in I'm in the DC area. Okay, well, hey, dude, my family is there. I'm in uh, Annapolis. Oh, yeah? I'm a couple times a year. Oh, oh, really? Usually right, not I'm, with the 911 I'm, because I can't. I'm an film. hour south of. 
Okay. I'm an hour south of Annapolis. My sister lives in Annapolis. Easy, easy. Well, so yeah, yeah, definitely, man. I, like, usually, I have whatever. a Golf R. Usually, there's another car out there that fits a fits, fits a family, so that's not probably a good trade. But I would love to experience your car. Tell me a little bit about it and how you obtain this thing, and why why did you go through the effort to buy a car that's definitely not easy to buy? <laughs> so, like, uh, I I uh, I nerd out on homologation specials. That's my my true passion. Um, I, I love, uh, the engineering that goes into these cars and I'm a, my, my day job is I work in engineering and production and we build aircraft, et cetera. And so I'm around that all the time. And I just, I love the ingenuity that's involved in it. And so as a car guy, um, I've always loved rallying and I've always loved racing, et cetera. And so when I discovered homologation specials, it became like a passion of mine. So I've owned a few. I owned a 1600 HF, uh, Okay. I owned, uh, um, I have a Lotus Cortina, 66 Lotus Cortina. And um, some could even argue in some ways the Porsche could potentially be homologation specials in some way. Eh, maybe. I don't, th- yeah. not, not in the classic sense of, of what we're talking about with your car. Correct. But uh, anyway, I have, I have an 83 SC. But um, so anyway, I sold the Fulvia and I was craving something from the 90s. And whenever I buy a car and sell a car, it's got to be a homologation special in some way or a derivative of a homologated car. Right. Okay. Um, so um, I got on the look at, and I've always wanted a a Cosworth and I've never seen one and I'm an automotive photographer like you. So I've been in tons and tons of collections. I've shot hundreds and hundreds of cars, never shot a Cosworth and I've never seen one in a collection. (laughs) So, uh, I went on the hunt. I had a couple cars inspected. Um, one fell through, um, and then, uh, had another one inspected out in, in, in the Pacific Northwest and it just wasn't the car for me. Um, for me, the Cosworth, it's, it's just the body design and everything. It's, it's just, it's very outlandish and it's very bold. And so the car out in Pacific Northwest was just like dentist silver (laughs) and, uh, it didn't work for me. Right. It, It needed to be something more, uh, uh, brilliant, something more eye popping, etc. Right. Um, so weeks went by and I actually started looking at, uh, uh, import, uh, your import E36 M3s mm-hmm. and almost bought a E36 M3. And then, um, that doesn't really fall in the homologation tent. Well, I was looking at E36 M3 GTs. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So, yeah, it does. But <laughs> <laughs> unexpected twist, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, anyway, so uh, I through friends of a friend, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, somebody was like, "Hey, man, you should reach out through Rob Gattardo out in Canada." Um, and I don't know if you know Phil. Uh, I can't. I always mess his name out. Name. I always mess his name up. Phil Tomodano or whatever. He's uh, Mr. Enthusiast, whatever on, on Instagram, uh, yeah, no. but he, he lives in New York city. He's got a huge collection of group B cars or had, he sold them all. 
but uh, he had just bought a motorsport uh, Cosworth from Rob. And uh, my buddy was like, pretty sure Rob's got another one. So uh, I found I found a video of Rob driving a Cosworth on YouTube. And somebody had asked him a question in the comments. And there was his email address as a response to this guy. So it's like, let me email this dude. So I emailed him and he called me. Okay. <laughs> and I had, by the end of that conversation, I had bought the car. Wow. So uh, he had a 1996 um, yellow, zinc yellow Cosworth. So they only made 10 in yellow. And uh, it's a true zinc yellow Cosworth car. And um, so we you know, negotiated price a little bit, agreed on it. Um, had the car picked up and delivered. And when it was set down in front of my house, I had never seen a Cosworth in person until that moment. Really? That's and, a leap uh, of faith. Yeah. That's a leap of faith right there. <laughs> yeah. I didn't have the car inspected or anything. I, you just sent me pictures and, and I just kind of knowing other people that know him, um, you know, I, I kind of put some stock into that and just went on some, uh, a leap of blind faith and, yeah bought the car <laughs> yeah and it's kind and, of those uh, things that happen that's like well you want it really bad so that definitely influences or it's almost like being drunk with desire when it comes to buying some car sight unseen you're drunk with desire and you just do it anyway exactly that 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 definitely has a lot to do with it i just i just wanted it i wanted it so bad and like i was like i still want an e36 and 3 gt like that is a car that is a box i have to check yeah but the Cosworth was higher on the list. It was a car that I really wanted and I wanted to experience. And, so what was the experience um, like? You get it. So they're dropping it off in front of your house. You're watching. It's like beep, 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 beep. And the guy drives. So you're going, <laughs> you get in it in the first time. What are you thinking? Like, what is this experience like? Did it, did it meet your expectations? <laughs> it's actually a pretty funny story. I get the car, uh, I drive it back to the house and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just over the moon over it. Right. And just going over the car break out the paint meter, check out everything, make sure I didn't get ripped off <laughs> going over the car. And then a buddy of mine is like a, a huge Ford guy. And so uh, I just sent him a text message with a picture of the video or a picture of the car. And uh, Randy texted me back. He's like, I'm on my way. What kind so of Ford guy are we talking up, about here? I mean, that guy could mean he, a few different things. He's a Mustang guy. Okay. Okay. So we, we won't hold it against him, but okay. he's a good guy. <laughs> anyway, he, he, he came by and so we went out for a test drive and within the first quarter mile of the test drive, I'd blown the coolant line off the car. <laughs> so that, uh, that pretty much set the, the, that wheel in motion for the next year and a half of dealing with coolant issues, reliability issues with the car. Just, it took about a year to sort the car out. Was it something that uh, had just sat a lot with this other guy? Like he didn't really yeah. drive it. Yeah. Rob, well, Rob imported it from Finland and then he owned it for like a year and he, and it was very clear that he just didn't drive the car and nothing against Rob. Like Rob's a good guy. And, uh, it just, it was just, you know, stuff that had been sitting for a long time, the car sat. And, uh, so I cleaned it up and, and just went to town on it. I put a new exhaust on it because their exhaust was rusted on. I mean, the car came from Finland. Yeah. So, um, it's, you're going to experience stuff like that. And then the car had like, uh, these stickers on the side of it that, that 
I had to do a Google search on uh, it's and it ended up being a Finnish company that does uh, undercoatings for rust prevention. So it had like four of these stickers on the car, which means it had it done at least four times. Right. So the fuel pump went bad on it. So it took me about a day and a half just to drop the tank in it. <laughs> Just yeah, because it had just so much this rust, this rust prevention stuff over everything. All that is seems so, like rust retention than rust prevention. I've never seen that stuff do a damn thing. So what I found out about the car, though, is that um, Rob had mentioned that it had some Wolf stickers and stuff on it. So um, what is Wolf? So a good question. So Walter Wolf uh, was. An, an entrepreneurial for from Germany, but he owned a Formula One team back in the 70s. And he owned a series of dealerships in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And forgive me, you know, if I get this wrong or not, but from what my basic understanding is, is uh, he, he owned four dealerships in Germany and was started racing the RS500s and was racing against Ford and beating Ford. So Ford brought him on to build their engines. And uh, so we started competing as a factory Ford car. And then uh, when the Sapphires came out, he continued that. And then when the Escort Kazis came out, he developed uh, road performance packages for racing where everybody else was focused on rally, right? And uh, so kind of like how you can go to a Ford dealership now and buy like a Roush Mustang or something. He had developed these parts and Ford had signed off on them and would warranty the car. If you bought the car from Wolf, you could then modify the car via a list a la carte. Right. Right. Yeah. The, it the, had the approved stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It had stuff that you could like, it had a, uh, another lip that you could put on the rear ducktail. Um, it had, he had wheels that you could choose, uh, AP racing brakes. So you got to call it a whale tail. It's the only car with a whale tail that actually looks like one. It's the only car. It's got a whale tail. It's got a whale tail and it's got a ducktail. That's true. It does two. have the little. Yeah. So that's what I'm talking about. The lower Gotcha. Part, gotcha. It has an extension, a carbon fiber extension that you can put on that. My car doesn't have it, but it was one of the things that you could buy from Wolf and put on there. So what does your car all and have so, done? So mine's a 1996, which is technically it's a it's a small turbo car. They call it a slick top small turbo car. However, from new is my assumption because I, I technically don't have the documentation to prove it. But it has a full ECU swap and they and a, a big turbo swap on it by Wolf. And so um, it screams. It's fast, but it, it's. It's it's definitely not a T25. It's got the T34 on it. That's all been verified. Uh, I even pulled the ECU out and sent it to some people that are in the know. Yeah. And it's got Wolf stickers on the ECU, and it's got the Magnetti Morelli ECU, which it should not have. It should have the Ford ICEVV or whatever ECU that yep. was in all the late 90s Ford stuff. And uh, it doesn't have that. It's got the Magnetti Morelli ECU. So and, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the driving experience with that, all that tuning and stuff like that when it comes to, so you've got an SC, which is one of the reasons why I thought it'd be cool to talk is you, you have like direct knowledge of comparison. Yeah. What would you choose so my SC if you is, had to choose between the two cars? I, you're not going to like this answer. I choose the Porsche all day long. <laughs> no problem. Tell me why. I, I'm curious. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's all right. But, 
but just because the SC, I've owned it for so long and it's not stock at all. It is completely set up to my liking. It's corner balanced to my liking. It's it's aligned to my liking. I mean, it's 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 basically like a PCA spec suspension on it. Why would why so don't you just take the the Cosworth and do all those things and to your liking? And you know, why have you chosen the nine eleven to do all that stuff too, and not done it to the other one? Because one, I, I've I've owned it for ten years and I've had the time to do it right yeah yeah that's one thing but um the other thing like it's just a very different experience like uh the the lotus i had had the lotus cortina and i had the the 1600 hf fulvia they were both 1600 cc motors they were both roughly within 200 pounds of each other and uh one was rear wheel drive one was front wheel drive Mm -hmm. And uh, they both were carbureted, et cetera, et cetera. And they were, you know, one could say they were very similar, but they were completely polar opposite driving experiences. And that's what I loved about that was the juxtaposition of the driving experience, right? And so that's what I like about Porsche and the Kazias. They're just so different. Yeah. But uh, the Porsche for me is just more rewarding. However, it's not to slight the Cosworth. The Cosworth is mental. It's really fast for a nineties car. It's fast. Yeah. And, uh, the brakes on it, it's got 14 inch rotors with AP racing brakes on it and it breaks, it can outbreak any of my cars and it's incredible. And it, it actually handles very well. It's, it, um, it's very supple. Well, it was before I put the coilovers on it, but, uh, I put a set of gas coilers on it and I, I, I hate them. I'm going to throw them in the trash. So it sounds like you're a lot like me, like my, my nine eleven is kind of my forever car. And then I have these other things that I cycle through on the side to have all the different experiences I want to have. But then for some reason, it always does kind of come back to the nine eleven for me. 100%, 100%. Yeah. The, um, I, I've, I've driven a lot of cars, a lot of cars, and I've never had an experience like the nine eleven. It just makes me smile. Where and all these other cars make me smile, but not like the Porsche does. But can you pinpoint what it is, or is it just too enigmatic for that? It's it's hard to say. It's it's just it's the total package, right? Like it's an SC, so it's an early car. Um, early yeah, like car. that stuff aside, though, you're, earlier. You're talking about like an emotional response, is what it, it well. I'm like. getting to that, right? Okay. Right? Like, so it's fully it's. It's it's all manual. There's nothing. There's no ABS brakes in it. There's no power steering in it. Right. It's just it's just you and the car, and it's doing exactly what you tell it to do at any given point. Yeah, but the Fulvia would and be the same way, right? Or anything. I've driven a Fulvia. The Fulvia, would be this, the Fulvia was like an angry little Italian. <laughs> Have you driven a 1600 HF? I dr- they're very different. I drove whichever one I drove was like the the lightweight version. There's like a lightweight something special version. I don't know enough about them to know. The Fanaloni? I I don't know. I'm not sure which it was. Yeah. It what was, did you think of it? It it was fun. It was slow. It was slow. But it yeah. was a lot of fun yeah. to just absolutely wring its neck. It was. Absolutely. And that's how cars. And that see that's the difference between the Lotus and, and, and the Fulvia is the Lotus or I'm sorry, the Fulvia for me 
it was like an angry little Italian that just always wanted to fight. You know what I mean? Like it was just wound up and just like, it would just, just snap and it wants to just go. Right. Yeah. So it always wanted to be wound up and it just always wanted to just be ripped on, which for me, that's anybody who knows me knows that that's what I love. <laughs> but the great thing about the Lotus is you can just drive around down it. Mm-hmm. And then when you want to rip it, you just get it over 3000 RPM and it comes to life and it, it flies. That car is, I, I'm probably going to sell that soon. And that'll be a tier when I sell that car. Like I, I, I do absolutely love the Lotus. Well, whatever it takes to get but, that, that M3 GT. Exactly. <laughs> All right, man, dude, it's been great. I really appreciate your input. I, uh, you know, I've, I've thought about selling my car and buying a, a Cosworth many times. It sounds like your advice would be to not do that. No, I will not sell your Porsche. Don't sell your Porsche. If you have the means to get one as a second car, 100%. It's a box you got to check. Got They're it. rad. They look incredible. You pull up to the gas station and nobody knows what it is. Right. So, you know, I, I, I started a new job recently. And I drove the car into work for the first time. And I had one person walk in and ask me who his fast and furious car it was. And then I had three of the other car guys say, Hey, cool escort. <laughs> so I, it's, it's definitely something that I need to drive at some point. Maybe it'll be yours. I would love to trade keys with you someday, man. Yeah, absolutely. If you're in the, in the Maryland area, man, hit me up. All right. Can, well, we'll do. It. Thanks again, man. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. You bet. All right, Jake. All right. Are you ready? I'm I've ready. Got, I've got a little bit of music. I so want is to play this, this the last pick for this week? Uh, is it? It is. It is. It, it is. It is. A, yes, it is the last pick for this week. Okay. And maybe we can recap or something. I don't know. I don't really care. All right. Let's, let's do this. Got to set, set the scene. Oh. More vibe. More vibe. I'm just going to let you take this in for a second. This is very dramatic. Yes, it is. Well, this is a very dramatic vehicle. I'm wondering how you're going to top the previous three. Uh, well, in my opinion, very easily. Mm-hmm. Jake. Yeah. Picture this. Okay. The late 80s. Yeah. At Porsche, sales are down. Uh-oh. Way down. Yes. Down. If you imagine what it would be like in the office, it probably is a lot like this. Frantic. Running around frantic, they don't know what's going on. Yep. The 911 is archaic. Yeah. It's limping along. Right. Barely. I don't know if you know how bad things really were. I probably don't. No. I don't think anybody really does. So I'm going to give some a few numbers. Okay. In 1988, yes. Porsche made just 31,000 cars, generating a paltry 13 million dollars in profit, with well under a single percent margin. Wow. Sales in this era were down 90. Really? At the time, BMW's Wolfgang Reitzel approached the Porsche family with an offer to buy the sports car company, but their asking price was $600 million. million, I tell you what. (laughs) (laughs) BMW, sorry, $600. That's a little too. These things have been around for a long time. $600 is too much. $600 million was too high. Instead, which was a huge mistake in my opinion. Uh Uh-huh. They went with Rover instead. Ooh. Ooh. Anyway, the 964 at this time. <laughs> I want to know how much they paid for Rover now in comparison. Who knows? Just, Going into the uh, into the 90s, yeah. the 964 exists. It is a okay. tub of lard. 
and is soon to be followed up by the latest 911 tub of lard number two, the 993. You're you're offending people. The 993 was a stopgap car. It was built to tide things over until the 996 could be developed. Yeah. This is a dark time for Porsche. Yeah. Their assembly lines were empty. Nobody was buying air-cooled 911s. Hmm. With empty assembly lines, Porsche started to contract them and their labor out. All right, so we've set it, we've set us the stage for the time period, right? Okay. If anything has to be cooler than an air-cooled 911, this is it. This is going to be different. Wow, that music stopped like that. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah, let's go. That's some drama. <laughs> this is <laughs> normally you would have like added that after the fact. I know it's perfect. <laughs> okay, this, this is going to be difficult for you. Why? All right. I want you to think of a time uh-huh. Mercedes didn't have AMG. Imagine a time when the only things that existed at Mercedes were grandpa cars. Yeah. <laughs> I get it now. Yeah, not difficult for me. Got it. Okay. AMG was a separate company until yeah. the late 90s. Yeah. My C43 AMG was, was the built first, by... A- that's the first car that was built in-house. Oh, AMG, okay. Mercedes. Got it. Owned it. Yep. Had it. In the late 80s... The super, the super Saloon cars were in full swing, as were the Super Saloon Wars. Now, we talked about the E28 M5. Yes. Same Not era. movement. M5. Uh, I'm sorry. After the M5, yep. Porsche was even designing something called the 989, which looks like a... Oh. It looks almost like a Panamera. Yes. But it's a four-door. So this was their answer to the Super Saloon. Uh, Mercedes themselves did not have a Super Saloon, and Mercedes needed to do something fast i posit to you something cooler than every ever any mercedes ever made at the time Uh possibly ever Uh uh-huh this is a car considered uh, by many to be the best saloon car ever made the mercedes-benz 500e here's a quote from michael holscher project manager development at the time developer at the time head of project he did stuff (laughs) looking at the car today it's almost impossible to believe that the design could be so perfect 30 years ago without cad data i have enormous respect for my colleagues in the body shop and especially their vision in 1988 porsche ag was awarded the development contract by daimler benz ag in unter say it say the word oh i'm not even on the document unter turkey I don't know. A place in Germany. Close to it's an outer district of Stuttgart. Hold on. I'm, you I'm, can I'm, literally Oh, oh Unterturkenheim. There you go. You can literally throw rock from Porsche to Mercedes. They're sure. very close. The technical specification laid down the requirements for quote design and experimental series development of the base type W124. Okay, so this is a one twenty W124 right. sedan. Yes. Is this and this similar? is where you're going to tell me that is boring. No, I'm just curious. I'm trying to wrap my head around this because honestly, I know nothing about Mercedes. Okay, have you heard of the Hammer? I've, I've heard of the Hammer. So is this that, the Hammer? The Hammer is is like a, a variation of the W124 that came before this car. Okay, um, it was like six liter or something or other. This the the W124 designed by Bruno Sacco, the man that designed pretty much everything at Mercedes when Mercedes was as at its absolute best. This car was a benchmark for the sedans to come. Now, I know this car seems boring, right? You look at this car, wow, how boring. It looks boring. But there was so much in this car that was very unique for the time that ended up influencing many, many cars from many manufacturers as time goes on. Flush 
headlights. Headlights that are flush with the bodywork. This didn't. This wasn't something that really existed. What year back is this? Then. Uh, late eighties. Okay. Integrated bumpers. Uh-huh. So molded plastic bumpers that went with the car instead of having some diving board, like right, ec- yeah, teardrop rear end design. It's very subtle, but if you look at this car from above, it has a tr- teardrop rear end. It so is like one it gets of, narrower at the very yes. back. It is one of the most aerodynamically perfect cars of all time. I highly leg- doubt legitimately. That. It's a legit, legitimately huge, huge steps in aerodynamics on this car. 86% of the windshield is covered by the windshield wiper, which is awesome. It's that super like. Oh, the weird articulating yeah, thing. Yeah, the one that goes like, it goes up and then yep. it comes down and then goes yep. back out. Yeah, because it's a single wiper. Yeah, you but it does this it. weird. Yeah, okay. They had weird things like the they had ribbed taillights so that you could see them right. in the snow or mud. It was super oh, safe too, but that came at a cost. The frame rails were too narrow to drop in a V8. Oh. And they needed Wait, to. Wait, then how did the hammer do it? Well, it's built by AMG. I don't know. We have to do an episode about that. Oh, okay. I don't know. What, I don't know. Well, why are you picking the hammer? They're too expensive. Oh, okay. They needed to. Lexus was barreling in with the LS four hundred. Okay. okay, so you imagine the the. Can we play the music again. We're, we're, okay, so Lexus is playing this song in their commercial, right? And, okay, and they've got like the wine the glasses Lexus sitting on the hood. Winter sales event. Do you remember that the wine glasses on the I hood do, of the car? Yeah, because it was it was like so smooth, right? Mercedes was busy, really busy, and they just didn't have time to do anything. What were they busy with? Everything else. Everything that they're doing. All of the things. All the things. They were just busy. They didn't have time to make the the W124 into the Super Saloon that it needed to be with the V8 that it needed to have. Okay. Guess who had time? Well, obviously Porsche. We established that. Porsche had lots of time. Yeah, they they are not sucking at the time. Okay. So Porsche widened the frame rails reinforced it, widened the interior, and did the crash testing. They widened the interior? They widened the interior. Because the, the the rear the transmission, the rear differential didn't fit oh. anymore. So they became a, a four-seater instead of a five-seater. Oh, interesting. Enter the M119 32-valve 5-liter V8, which is ended up being the same engine that's in my C43. It oh, la- this okay. engine lasted a while. It's a big bore, short stroke, all aluminum, masterpiece it's a masterpiece. it had just taken first and third in a sauber in the world endurance championship oh that's cool to hold all the power they upgraded the suspension and the brakes on the 500e which meant that it was wider two inches wider two inches of fender flare and that's never a bad thing (laughs) unless it doesn't fit down your assembly line anymore because it's too fat wait what yeah know what production (laughs) line it did fit down porsche the 959 no Okay, so this thing was zero to sixty in five and a half seconds and a fourteen second quarter mile, which is pretty damn good for its time in a saloon. Right, it decimated the E thirty four M five. Okay, decimated it. It was zero to sixty in like seven seconds or sure. something like that. It outbraked and outcornered it as well. To know AMG did get a hold of these and build a few. It's the E sixty AMG. Uh, it's the six liter V eight, three hundred eighty horsepower, upgraded suspension. Okay, Go I'm ahead. confused. Because you I said, know, I know, I don't want to talk about the hammer. Okay, no, no, is that what you're talking no, about? No, it's a different car. It's a, the E60 AMG. No, is but a what I'm confused vehicle. about right now is like, okay, so 
Porsche was contracted by Mercedes to Here, build. Do you know what AMG did? Here's what AMG did. Okay. What did AMG? AMG took they took Mercedes cars. Yeah. Over to the AMG factory and they did stuff to them. Right. Okay. So they are taking. It's just a tuning shop, basically. Right. They're taking the 500e. So they're instead taking the car of like that's the 300. And then they're so it's already been modified, not modified. Yeah, it's already been modified, modified by, by Porsche, right. and now AMG is also doing things with it. Correct. So basically, here's here's what would happen. Why didn't you it, pick that one then? What's that? The AMG one, because they didn't make enough of them, and it's it's they're really hard to find, and they're expensive, and I don't know. I just I like the 500e. I think it's a, it's a it's the, the E60 is not that much better. It's really not. And they're okay. rare and they're hard to find. They had okay. like somebody get different wheels and a little bit more horsepower. It's really not that okay. much. It was better same motor. Yeah, it's okay. really not that. Really not that special. So here's what would happen: Merce- Mercedes would kick out one of these Mercedes cars, just a chassis. Right. They'd send it across the street. It would get all freaking widened and crashed. Like all, did, they did all the crash at testing Porsche. at Porsche, okay. and then it would go back, back again to Mercedes. to Mercedes to get everything fitted in. Ah, yes. So this is back, Jake. What? This car did 150 miles an hour. Uh-huh. Do you, that doesn't sound impressive, does it? Not really. The reason it only did 150 miles an hour is because that's when the gearing ran out. They tuned this thing to get the maximum amount of performance in a drivable range. So the gearbox oh. ran out at 150. Because they figure, but when are you going over 150? Yeah. The AMG version does 180. Okay. So the, 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 thing's, got, the, the yeah. thing's got legs. This oh, car yeah. was built when Mercedes-Benz had a saying. What was the saying? That it is engineered like no other car in the world. This meant something. And the engineers shit on the bean counters on a daily basis. <laughs> what? <laughs> this is this is when engineering ran the bean counters, oh, not the I other way it. around. Okay, yeah. Now everything is like, oh, bean games, oh, it's money. Oh, you can't do this. Right. They, yeah. they blew, they wasted so much money on, like the, <laughs> on cars. I mean, they almost went bankrupt. It was such a terrible business model. But guess what? You got great, you got great cars out of it. Okay. This thing isn't cool because it was partially built by Porsche. It's cool because it is the best and most influential saloon car made. Because of the way that it was designed, okay, this thing influenced the entire saloon. You're just, you look so skeptical. What's your I problem? Just, I, okay. Of Mercedes, like in general, we know I don't get. You don't like Mercedes. Got I don't it, like fine. Mercedes. Good. But I'm, you you're believe- talking about all these other versions of it that could have been like, oh, the hammer and then this other AMG thing one. And like, why? I don't understand this one. I don't understand. This doesn't, doesn't have an AMG badge on it. This one is. No, okay. It, it just doesn't seem like the top of the line cream of the crop. You can't find the other car. They oh, didn't make okay. any of them. All right. It's like it's not even worth thinking about. You're not going to get one. You're not. You're no, not getting and one. And I understand this is a and sporty sedan. Also, I just. You also have to keep in mind that it's a very easy reason to shit on Porsche. Because I can say that this car got built at Porsche when Porsche was around twiddling their thumbs because they weren't selling anything. Yeah. Talk about the factory. That's kind of why I picked it. Okay. <laughs> Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Let's and, be honest. Just that. Just that. But it is also. Okay. It, Did they ever race this car in any form? No. Okay. Not that I'm aware of. They were too busy in DTM with the 190E. Oh. Evo. Which, okay. So is this a bigger version? Of a 190E? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Normally this car was like a 300E would have an inline six in it. Okay. Early pedestrian. Is it E? E, e class. Okay. 190E is an E-Class? I will tell you that the Mercedes nomenclature for naming and models fucking sucks. You know, I know things by How many sedans were there in this time? What what kind of question is this? Like, if I'm going to go buy a 500E in the showroom, 
How many other models are there? Well, you can get the five. Oh, at, at Mercedes? Yes. You're probably getting a 300E or a 300 diesel is probably the two models that you're looking at. Or you're looking at this, which is like. I guess I'm curious. So, like, what is their their product lineup? If the 190E well, you've got also like the, exists, you've got these like seem the, like the same car to me. I don't understand what's different about them. One is much smaller. Okay. It's a much smaller car. Yeah, it's okay. a smaller so car. So is that their up. compact? That's their small one. Yes, that would have like a, you could get a, a, the 2.3 or the 2.5. You could yeah. get the, the four-cylinder yep. or you could get the six-cylinder or you could get the 16-valve, which right. was like the sportier with the little wing on it now that we know. Yeah, that. I like that. Yeah. That, so that's, I like that's that the, and then you had like Why would the, you pick that one? And you had the S-Class and you had like the SL500. Which was where they got this V8 from was pulling it out of the SL500. They made 190 Cosworth, didn't they? Yeah. Why didn't you pick that one? I don't really like it. I don't like the way that it looks. I don't like the gearbox. I've driven it. I don't mm. like it. I don't like the car. Okay. I, I, I truly don't. I'd rather have a regular 190E. But that's not exciting to talk about either. I don't like the one. Hey, I mean, none of these hey, are, but. Hey, kill me. I don't like the 190E 16 valve. I'd rather have an E30 M3. I think that's uh, kind of an unpopular opinion as well. Well, I would also rather have an M3. Yes, agreed. Yeah, but I mean, they're much. But if I'm going to pick a Mercedes, it's the one with the big wing that went DTM racing. But it's not. You're not getting that car. You're getting a 190 E16 valve. You're not getting an Evo 2 with wide body and wheels and a bigger wing and like bucket seats. You're not getting the. You're not getting that car. Maybe that's what's the most disappointing to me about the 16 okay. valve, is that it's really not that close to the the one that actually DTM raced. When you go buy an E30 M3, it looks like the same car. Mm. The 190 E16 valve does not look like the same car at all. And they okay. sold uh, way less of the Evo 2, only enough to homologate it, but they sold like 20,000 E30 M3s. Sure. Yeah, I see what you mean. So you know what I mean? Like it's just, it, the, the 16 valve just seems like it's like this diluted version. Yeah. Okay. Whereas the, the E30 M3 seems like you're buying the actual car. Okay. Is that fair? Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. All right. That's it. We're done. See you later. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> now that we've established that. I haven't found anybody that drives one of these you have to talk to. I don't know if I will. So you will just I have to. I thought they're so common. That's why you picked this one. Oh, you can buy these, no problem. Uh, you can buy them, no problem. But no um, one bought them. I didn't have anybody really contact me. I think I have a guy. I'm not sure. I'm just warning you that we may or may not be talking to someone else after this. Or okay. the episode might just be over. I don't really Should know. Should I pretend to be the guy we talked to just in No, case. because you're just going to talk a bunch of shit. <laughs> that's, no, that's no good. We don't want to do that. All right. Here's our may or may not interview. Or, or this is going to be Jake and I signing off and talking to you next week. We'll find out. All right, that was a good interview that we may or may not have had. Right. I don't know. So what do you... Right. You, you really... Anytime we bring up Mercedes on I, this podcast, you are such an asshole about it. <laughs> like, you just, like, all of a sudden, you're just like... And you start asking, like, ridiculous questions. What, what was like ridiculous? You, like what you was ridiculous? You dive into the weeds more than any other car. Like, you're just in the weeds, like, digging around. Honestly, for like, it's because I don't understand. I don't do understand not understand what? them. I, I don't nothing about the model lines of them. They don't make that's called, sense to me. That's ignorance, not lack of understanding. Okay, yeah. It's well, a big difference. Okay. Understa I'm not ignorant. understanding means you know and you don't get it. Ignorance means you, you're unaware. It's different. Right, okay, I'm unaware. Okay, so you're... It's I'm not, genuinely asking questions. Okay. I'm not trying to be an asshole. But the you, fact that they're not exciting and your answers aren't exciting, that's the problem. What do you mean it's not exciting? <laughs> the fact that you think I'm digging in to just make it's things... Got, dude, it's got a World Endurance Championship motor in a sedan. Like... That's built by Porsche because they sucked and Mercedes needed a car and it and it and it participated in the super saloon race. What what do you talk what do you mean? How is that not cool? Yeah, okay. 
How is it not I cool? Know. Okay, here's here's I think my problem. No one's gonna be cross shopping a nine eleven with this thing. No one's gonna cross shop anything with what we're talking about. Who's gonna be like, hmm, I think I should get a nine eleven or a Testarossa. A nine eleven or a spot. Like, yeah. no, nobody's cross shopping any of this. That's the point of this, is to put it in your mind so maybe you can think about doing it. <laughs> okay. Well, the list today. How is it not cool? How is this the car list today? I would pick the Espada. Fine. Why is this car not cool? This Mercedes. You got to tell me. It's bothering me. Okay. Did it come with a manual? No. That's strike one. Five-speed automatic. You could shift. Man. How heavy was it? I don't know. Heavy. What does it drive like? Awesome. <laughs> okay. Yeah, even Jason Camisa says it's the best saloon car ever made. Yeah. And he's the guy. He's the guy. He's I, the, I he's love the, that it's a V8. Yes. Uh, it's, I know it's engineered well. Like I Presence. know showing up to the, at a, at a event in this no, would be special. No, no, no one would, no one would understand what it is. At Cars and Coffee, no one would see nope. an E500 and know what it is. Nope. Every Porsche dork with a 911 there well, would know what it is. Mm, yeah. Cause they all go, hee hee, that's the Porsche built uh, Mercedes. Mercedes built. Yeah. I mean, realistically it, it isn't, it was like some stuff they was done. Modified the frame. It's not like the RS2, which was actually, you know, the Audi RS2? Yes. Was built. In collaboration, yeah. Audi, Porsche. Yeah, that one's better. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's, that's, cool. that's a cool. Why is that all of a sudden cool? You don't even like wagons. Your wife won't even like entertain no, test driving wagons now. What? Yeah. Ooh, are you gonna that get was, you Will you please? You made fun of the please, Audi God. Avant, but that was part of my motivation buying that car is so she could experience the wagon and be like, look at all the stuff I can put in. And how to go? Great. She's into it. Okay. She wants a B7 right. S4. Oh no. no! What? No. What's your deal? Yes. E63 AMG. Fucking man up and buy the car. Buy the car. The car that I don't care about or have affinity to? It's way, way better than anything Audi's ever produced. Hands down. I don't care if you're listening to this podcast and like getting a little security advice and sliding into, into your radio and pulling your radio out and throwing it out the window after I say that. <laughs> I don't care. The E63 AMG and most Why AMG is that not on your not on your list then? It's too modern. It doesn't fit the the okay. old, too old thing. Yeah, the pre OBD. Dude, no, if we right. if yeah, we yeah. didn't have some rules with this, uh -huh. it could get out of control. No, I know. You're, I forgot the pre OBD. Yeah, it's got to be thing. pre OBD. That makes sense. The E60 AM3 is a twin turbo V8. Yeah, it no, is I, an I absolute monster, monster. It's a Mercedes. Far the build quality is far and above anything that Audi has. Audi has gone off the rails. Their interiors look like. Somebody that loved Pagani, yeah. but then got hit on the head before they designed. <laughs> I, I yeah, knew anything past like 2008 Audi. I don't like. You got it. You got to at least drive one. You got to drive one, and then let me come with you. I really want to drive one. <laughs> the, dude, AMG wagons are just so legit. And if Nikki is finally into it, this is your chance, dude. Seize the day. <laughs> Seize the day. On that note, we will see you guys next week after Jake looks one up and drives one with me. Maybe. See you later, guys. Take care.